0: Hey everyone, welcome to the What Is Money show. I'm sitting down today with Mr. Russell LaCour, who is the CEO of Tantra Labs. And uh, we're gonna be talking today about a very interesting book, uh, the title of which is Inner Engineering, Mm -hmm. A Yogi's Guide to Joy. Not my book, but... (laughs) But your recommendation
1: yes my recommendation absolutely
0: and and it is good so far um so i'm just going to start by reading an excerpt to just get an idea of where we're going here um so author says quote guru literally means dispeller of darkness the function of the guru contrary to popular belief is not to teach indoctrinate or convert The guru is here to throw light on dimensions beyond your sensory perceptions and your psychological drama. Dimensions that you are currently unable to perceive. The guru is here fundamentally to throw light on the very nature of your existence. Pretty potent lines there. Um, And I've been talking recently to a, a number of people about, Really, you know, I think economics gets into a lot of this, that there's yeah. dimension beyond what we can see, what we can sense, you know, even Bastiat wrote about this a long time ago, the seen and the unseen. And in many ways, understanding the world and understanding economics is to give primacy to the unseen. You know, what what we see is largely just emergent from unseen principles and and things. Um So yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on this word guru. I didn't know that actually, that the word guru was defined as dispeller of darkness. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, I I would love to add on to what you're saying too, because the part in there where he talks about to dispel your psychological drama, that is the market. The market is a psychological mm. drama. It is truly like human emotion personified into numbers on a screen. And I think as a trader at a quant desk, you begin to realize that it is just a number on a screen and you have to detach yourself from any kind of emotion to that number, whether it's up, down, wherever it may go, if you allow it to control you, then you're not gonna be in the best mindset. You won't be able to make good decisions. You'll be, you know, Selling the low buying the high and to actually understand the way that human psychology works, you can begin to understand the market better to understand how you work, you can begin to understand the market better because. That's all that it is it's a function of us it's a function of what we're thinking of what we're perceiving. Um, you know, you see it the most in liquidity crises, like we saw in March, 2020 mm. where the market's selling off because everybody's fearful of the pandemic. You saw it manifest in so many different ways from toilet paper, going out of stock to stock prices crashing overnight. And it's all psychological drama, nothing mm. changed per se, you know, of course we had a pandemic and many people have died since then, but the underlying nature of humanity didn't change, the sun didn't blow up, the world wasn't coming to an end. And yet the market went down. I mean, Bitcoin and ETH went down 50% in a day, right? Right. So the psychological drama of people guiding the market in all these different directions is something that I think it's very important to understand your own psychology, which is why I recommended this book. And to, to talk about guru more. It's, it's something as, uh, Westerners we're not used to. I, I think, um, a lot of our programming is like that. That's a cult, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, that any Eastern thing, like we start to think, uh, Charles Manson or like OSHO and like weird hippie. And I, I know a lot of people look at me and they think I smoke a bunch of weed cause I have long hair <laughs> and the, The truth of the matter is that, and I think the book title explains it the best, it's inner engineering. It's Mm -hmm. about realizing that every single perspective that you have in life, every single thing that happens, you are the controller of how you react to it, of how you respond to it. Mm -hmm. And so if the price goes up, you can give yourself dopamine by feeling good about it the price goes down, you can take that dopamine away by feeling bad about it. right? Or you could just give yourself dopamine. At the end of the day, you can control the human mechanism, but nobody taught us how to do that. That's what the guru is for. He's the one to teach you that you're in control of your experience of reality, but everyone around us isn't aware of these things. And so we've never been taught this. We've never talked about it. And, a lot of Western society just brushes it off as either non-scientific or silly. And so they've been doing a bunch of scientific studies. Even the Harvard labs is studying people that are doing meditation now and realizing that there's a huge impact when you can start to reprogram your neural pathways and begin to take control of this you know, ape that we've Mm. somehow found ourselves inside of.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great way to put it. Um, I hadn't drawn that connection to the market, but that's really interesting that it is a psychological drama. Uh, And it reminds me, uh, the saying that the market moves capital from the passionate to the dispassionate. Those Those that are the best able, I guess, to regulate or, or modulate their emotions, you know, in in response to this psychological psychological drama, are the ones that are successful su- successful traders. Yep. Um, and the market too. What I think that there's an interesting connection there that the net output of the market is that it's filtering out all these agendas, all these biases, all these opinions, and it's just kind of giving you truth. You know, there's this saying that price is truth and markets and it's just filtering everyone's opinion against the reality of the supply of capital effectively and then you get a number and that number is you know the closest thing to truth we have in that moment yeah um and i like that the the connection to guru is interesting too that you mentioned it's the ability to choose how to respond right this is I, i read this recently that responsibility that's what it means essentially is the ability to respond. So you get to choose how you respond to any given circumstances. And I'm reminded of that book, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He calls that the final human freedom, that no one can ever take that away from you. That even people in very dire circumstances, like he was in a in, uh, Nazi internment camp, he had family members there. He still was able to access this place within himself that he could respond he could choose to respond favorably to his circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's very absent that's from freedom. Yes.
1: It's true freedom to realize that. And not many people do, right? We're always giving, we're giving our freedom to something else. We're always giving it to, you know, the outcome of the situation, right? Right. And to, to take it back to the market, will the price go up, right? Like a lot of yeah. people are, really hoping for this. And so you've given your happiness away to it. You've become a slave to it. You know, and a a lot of the reason why I'm so passionate about Bitcoin and the entire crypto movement is because it does give the ability for financial freedom, but it's only going to give it to those who are willing to see the future, Mm. not the near term future, but the distant future. Those that, I, I, I do believe the market punishes people that are not uh I, I don't want to use the word educated, but that are not like that don't truly believe in what they're what they're buying, mm-hmm. right? And it, it it punishes punishes ignorance as much as it punishes like um pride.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: if you look at something for what it is, and we'll use Bitcoin as the perfect example, right? We've lived in a society where money has been controlled by the central government for over 200 years now. That policy making and that organization has shown itself to truly have their interests in mind and not our interests in Mm -hmm. mind. This is the first time in human history that we have the ability to back something that has our interests in mind because it's completely public. The, the difference here is that you don't know what the monetary supply of the U.S. government is, nor do you have any control over the inflation schedule, but you do on something like Bitcoin. You have complete control because the moment that you buy it, you're agreeing to the inflation schedule. You're agreeing to the fact that there's only so many and then eventually it'll stop. And so are all these other people. And I I use this analogy a lot and I I think that it triggers some people, but I think it's a really good way to think about it. Bitcoin is a Ponzi scheme. And what I mean by that is that the more people that buy into it, the more the price goes up, the more value that we give it. It works the same with a government. The more people that go, a government is a Ponzi scheme. The more people that go there, the more people that pay taxes, the more power the government has. That's all that it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not to be like, uh, I think it's a Ponzi scheme and buy it and whatever. It's just to use this word in a way where you come to the understanding that all we're doing is agreeing on the value. And the more people we can convince to agree that this thing is valuable, the more valuable it becomes. Mm. And so we get this self-fulfilling prophecy of, yes, we have found a huge trigger for our financial freedom, for the financial freedom of the entire world, right? Because we're finally given the opportunity to have control over the money and all we have to do is convince enough people that that's possible and we're doing it Uh, you can see it with the exponential increase in growth that's happening across the board for crypto happening across the board for bitcoin like you have huge proponents for bitcoin and bitcoin technology in news media in uh you know the corporate media and these people cannot be stopped i i don't think you're going to have what like it was only two years ago that people were worried the government's going to ban bitcoin All right that is completely out the window yeah. as far as the us is concerned there
2: mm.
1: there's too much money and legislative power in bitcoin today that they, they could not ban it without an extreme revolt mm-hmm. uh and an extreme pressure and you have to understand Wall Street controls the government. So if they can make money on it, it's not getting bad. And they are making a lot of money on crypto.
0: Yes, indeed, they are. Um, I think there's some, some great points there that this really is the uniquely powerful human ability to create these social constructs. Um, you know, of, of government, right? It's a useful fiction, if you will. Money is a useful fiction, but yeah, they're so damn useful. Like we we can't scale and civilize ourselves without them. So to, even when I say, you know, you called it a Ponzi scheme, which I'd push back on a little bit. Uh, I yeah. would it's, so- it's
1: not the perfect word. It's,
0: it's not. <laughs> I go with social construct because as The definition I learned about Ponzi scheme was something that guarantees a rate of return and a low risk, and it preys on uh, ignorance. Frankly, right? It's like people that don't understand what it is. And I kind of, at least, Bitcoin I view as something opposite to that, in that it's it doesn't promise any rate of return. Right? There is no rate of return associated with Bitcoin. Um, It. Does not um, secure you against risk at all. It's the most volatile, <laughs> most volatile yeah. asset in history, or one of. And then finally, I think it actually encourages self-education because, like, once you get into Bitcoin, it's like what you start asking all these fundamental questions, like, what is money, what right. is this thing? et cetera, et cetera. So, but it's a great point that we—that is what makes human different than animal—is that we can. It's the logos, right? We can tell and believe these stories and not just believe them, but embody them, like live them out. We can live out the story of being American or whatever. Um, So that's really powerful. Uh, But people do get misled when they start attaching, when you attach yourself to an outcome, as you're saying, you're you're abdicating your freedom to whatever that thing, not even an outcome, I guess it could be anything, could be money, status,
1: Yeah, this is the whole I think my my biggest thing with all of it, right, is we live in a reality where money is fundamental to our existence, Mm -hmm. which inherently is just wrong. Right. Like there's a very fundamental flaw in our paradigm right now where we've created a monetary system in order to transact with one another, a social construct that enables us to trade time. But the balance of power in that construct has skewed so much that we've created, you know, the 1% and the 99%. -hmm. And we don't have a solution to the problem. And so without that education and without sacrifice truly, we don't have a way to get there. And there's a lot of different uh, ways in which the future kind of ends up playing out. And even now, like if Bitcoin were to become super successful, let's say Bitcoin goes to hundred million dollars a coin, you still do not achieve the level of global financial freedom that is required for like utopianism, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's still not enough decentralization today right now to allow for that Mm. and it's for so many different reasons right we have abject poverty, and people that don't even have access to these kinds of things Uh, and your only hope would be that people like Michael Saylor or people that end up with a lot of money at the end of this go and then help and we can begin to actually solve the problem that we've Mm. created for ourselves and what it what I think the entire purpose of the money experiment, if you will, and Austrian versus Keynesian economics and the reason why Bitcoin and any hard asset or asset in general is an amazing thing to hold in the environment that we currently live in or the paradigm that we live in, it's the realization that the social construct itself is entirely fabricated. We do not need money to exist and to live. We've just convinced ourselves that we do, right? There is enough to go around in the majority of the world. There's enough food, there's enough water, there's enough land, but we have created a false sense of there's not enough because Mm. he has a billion and I have a hundred thousand. And so there's not enough. Mm. I have to keep putting my time in every day. I have to keep punching the clock. And I think that Bitcoin does begin to solve that problem. At the very least, it it pushes on the problem and points out the problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of ways that it ends up doing that. And your, your idea of what is money and going into this rabbit hole and realizing how rigged the system is, but also that there is a way out, right? There is definitely a possibility. I think the same way like uh, GameStop ended up just exploding. Mm -hmm. That's almost what uh, Bitcoin is doing to the financial system where you're basically getting this massive short squeeze on the governments around the world that are just endlessly printing money. And so we definitely have an opportunity here that is is—it's definitely not going to leave the world off in a worse place let's put it
0: that way yeah i i agree it's a net benefit um it's interesting how you you think about money though, was kind of like this so it's a useful fiction right it's enabled us well really it's it's it gets back to trade ultimately trade yeah. is what allows us to increase our productivity effectively right? this is mm-hmm. this is an important point both trade and innovation which trade generates innovation, they're both aimed at just increasing aggregate human productivity, which is to say increasing our total wealth. Yep. And then when we start to trade, something has to be money because something is most tradable. The most tradable thing is money effectively. How do you see, do you think we get to, because I hear you saying that maybe money is just something associated with our current paradigm. You think we get to a post money world at some point?
1: I would like to see it before I die, but I doubt it. Um, At the end of the day, we're trading resources, right? Like what money is, is it's time, it's energy. And Mm -hmm. we've just created a physical form that allows us to transact. Um, I I was actually having this conversation with my dad uh, because the word socialism, I think really like, freaks a lot of people out. And you just you just explain perfectly why capitalism is a good thing, because mm-hmm. we innovate and we build and we create a lot of good for the world. Mm-hmm. The dark side of capitalism is that we end up creating extreme wealth gaps. Mm-hmm. And also we're like, we're building comfort, right? Like, is Uber Eats necessary for the world to become Amazing? No. Is it amazing? Is it cool? Yes. And so my my point is this: like, I believe that the only way for society to truly thrive is a form of socialism that actually is in small community. It. Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can have a big government that solves everyone's problems, because you can't. Like, I can't look after a hundred million people. I. Right it doesn't work but yeah. if you have 50 people in a community and one guy's doing the farming the other guy does the plumbing this guy does the like every, all your problems are taken care of within the community and you take care of each other and in that world you don't need money because in that world it's just humans looking out for humans and we did that for probably millennia before you know technology and, the best way to think about it is like we live in a world where we have the most comfort ever. Yet We also have super high suicide rates. Mm -hmm. We have huge mental illness problems. We have drug problems. Obviously something's not working. Like We have, we have misstepped somewhere and not that money is the problem, but it's definitely one of them. I, I can't tell you how many people actually majority of people, are a slave to money. They are a slave to their job. Mm-hmm. They're a slave to their bills. They are a slave to the society that they were born into. And I do believe that it's it's unnecessary for so many different reasons. Um, and also it's it's all mental, right? Like you don't have to be a slave, even if you do have to go to work, which is why Inner engineering is such a good book um, because it can alleviate a lot of this uh, I'll use the word hell that we have been born into because this point in the world and in our paradigm is a very tough one. This is not a easy point in history, especially for a lot of millennials and Gen Z.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The kids that are, you know, just entering the workforce or just graduating college, coming into this world is extremely difficult. I'm sure. Um, and, you know, I, I agree with your point there that the political ideologies, I think it was Taleb that wrote about this. He talks about the scale variance where at the family level, he's a communist, right? He would willingly give what yep. uh, you know any of his wealth to his daughter, his family or whatever. But at the national level, he's purely capitalist, right? You can't, you need strong rules and reliable price signals at that level to coordinate people. You can't depend on compassion because compassion doesn't scale, frankly. Um, And I would, you know, I argue, I think, I mean, everything's multi-factor, but I think central banking, I view them as, I call it the corruption of money or they're a a globalized counterfeiting scheme. I think that is causing... (laughs) A lot of the problems, you know, like we don't even know, you know, I. so capitalism may have a dark side as you're saying, but like we haven't even run the experiment yet because we've always had uh, coercion in the money, frankly. So the great promise of Bitcoin is to just have a money that doesn't respond to coercion.
1: Yeah. Well, again, it's, we've created a false sense of scarcity, of scarcity in money and and not in Bitcoin, in like traditional fiat, there's a false sense of scarcity because of the wealth divide, where I totally agree with you. Like, pure like capitalism in its form today might have zero issue if everyone had enough, right? Like if, and I, I think that it did right. Like what was the, the roaring twenties, like everybody could buy a house. You could work at McDonald's and you have three houses and four kids and two wives, and yeah. whatever's going on. And that, that form of capitalism works. The, the problem is we are not in that reality anymore. And now it's like, okay, how do we, how do we get back to that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully getting rent seekers out of the financial system should just allow a lot more wealth to accrete to market actors, right. Versus Mm -hmm. everyone being robbed all the time via inflation, taxation, regulation, legislation, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. I want to, I'll read another excerpt here. And so, The author is basically introducing himself and his life, um, which I guess is part of this internal transformation process he has undergone. Uh, So he says, quote, self-transformation is not incremental self-improvement. Self-transformation is achieved not by morals or ethics or attitudinal or behavioral changes. But by experiencing the limitless nature of who we are, self-transformation means nothing of the old remains. It is a dimensional shift in the way you perceive and experience life. And he goes on to say that knowing this is yoga, one who embodies this is a yogi. One who guides you in this direction is a guru. So, you know, this I think is a a radical new new way. Very radical. (laughs) new meaning to the words yoga yogi and guru um and you know i I did yoga for like 10 years and it really i think it really changed because he's describing too later in the book that he did it for i don't know 10 15 years and it just started to bear fruit at some point changed who he who he is and i've been out of it for maybe three or four years now and um there's definitely something missing, something I used to have yeah. that uh, it, it leaves a good mark. Like you, you get maybe, a I don't know, a finer attunement to reality, to yourself to some extent. But then it's yeah. almost like meditation. If you're in it and you're in meditation, great. But then if you come out of it, uh, it's it's different. So I kind of a rant well, there, but I'd just I just love I to hear really- what you think about that.
1: Yeah, I have a great response for this. So, so yoga means union. And the best way to understand it is see, and I'll use Western uh, society as the crux of this argument, but understand that the majority of the world follows Western society, especially in the education system. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about. So we were educated to believe that intelligence Uh, and memorization was the epitome of the human experience that Mm. the ability to memorize facts and formulas and all these things made you smart Mm. and that being smart makes you powerful or you know whatever it clicked for you that that was why you wanted to be smart Mm. and the truth of the matter is that the human experience is the experience itself. The fact that you are, are alive right now in this moment, having this experience is an incredible, astronomically impossible experience that is just, it, like, <laughs> it's improbable that this is happening right now.
2: So mm-hmm.
1: use the most, you know, it, realizing that is an insane experience just realizing the improbability of your existence and the blessing that it is to be alive and to experience these things is an entrenching reality. And yoga is becoming one with that experience and getting out of that intellect that we were taught and programmed in school that I have to think about everything, that I have the logic that that's a chair, this is a couch, that's a girl, this is a boy, this is that and just be. And the more that you can learn to just be, the more control you have over your reality. And and not even control, but the more fluid that reality becomes. Mm. Because at the end of the day, all you have is your experience and the perception of it, the experience of it, the the way that you respond to it. And the more that you can become one with those things, the more awe-inspiring life becomes. And the point of meditation, it's a stepping stone. It's to take that reality of nothing, of like trying not to overthink, of just being there, it slowly becomes part of your everyday experience. You become more and more aware. You you become more and more present in whatever this experience is. And Mm -hmm. the more present you become, the more amazing the experience becomes because you, again, like this is so improbable and insane that you just have to take it all in. Like, I, I always ask people this question, do you know where you were before you were born? And until you know or can figure that out, I don't think that anything else in the world is important. Um, and, and that's very much a hyperbole. I'm, I don't mean, you know, just try and figure it out for the rest of your life. But it's a very important question. You know, did you exist before this? Will you exist after it? Does consciousness end right here? I don't know that there's much more. Like, OK, let's put it this way. I don't know that a number on a screen is more important than the answers to those questions.
0: Mm, Interesting. Yeah. So let's, I mean, that is the question right there to try and rectify the difference between religious zealots and the people that are more scientifically minded. Mm -hmm. Um, What, so what, is the answer to that question. (laughs) One of of the things I think about is yeah, we are clearly made up of the universe. We're constituted of the universal stuff. But we're also, and the unique thing about humans is that we can engage in self-reflection effectively. And then using self-reflection, we can change our future action, right? Versus just being an animal that's purely instinct-driven. Which is- the fundamental axiom of austrian economics by the way man must act right we act with purpose mm-hmm. because we have self reflection so are we the universe engaged in self reflection is that what humans are
1: <laughs> i can't tell you the answer with certainty i think that it's there's one thing that the author of this book his name is segru that he has impressed upon me and i'll i'll answer it first with uh, retort to what you just said and, and, and agreement with you. The difference between a human being and a cow is that a cow doesn't realize it's a cow. It just is a cow. But a human being has the capability to realize that it's a human. And that is what separates us, that ability to have a consciousness, to have a third party perspective of literally the ape that you are currently existing inside of and it's it's not about religion it's not it has nothing to do with any of that right like i could give a shit whether anybody believes they're gonna reincarnate what you were in your past life like none of that matters in my opinion Mm -hmm. and none of that affects me in any way my my understanding of all of this is that Consciousness exists and the mere fact that it exists means that it does not cease to exist because the paradoxical nature of existence is that you realize that you're here. And if you were incapable of that realization, then you would have never existed to begin with. So if you are here right now at all, welcome to the party. (laughs) <laughs> and i i don't think that it ends i i think that the ability to even be here in this moment means that it, it does not cease maybe you forget this moment like i forgot what i ate for breakfast last week but i don't know
0: so consciousness then is part of inorganic reality well i think it's all the same right
1: like you, you said it best. It, it's self-reflection. Like, um, I think God is a really unique word because a lot of people place this connotation on it like it's this dude with a white beard in the sky, but right. God could really just be used to describe unknown unknown, like the things that we experience that we aren't aware of or, or don't know. And so I, I, with that definition i believe that consciousness is god experiencing itself Mm. it's the i've heard it put this way in like a biblical way which is it's the lucifer experiment uh which means that we wanted to experience reality without god so what is existence if you do not have the ability to do everything, if you are limited in your possibilities, uh, which I thought was just a very interesting thing. Um, Another way that I've heard it put that kind of makes sense is like, uh, so as human beings, we need time to understand things. We need time to understand like how something happened or like what we are or to do anything, we need time to like uh, exist. And so, if you were to remove yourself from time, if if that were possible or if it is possible, then in theory, nothing and everything is happening all at the same time. Mm. And it's a very hard concept to wrap your head around, but in that existence, in the existence without time, you have become God because in essence, everything and anything and nothing at all is all happening at one time. Uh, And so if you believe in the Big Bang, things like that,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I like to think that the Big Bang is the initial thought of God. It's the initial like, uh, and again, I'm using God in a very loose term. Mm -hmm. This isn't like biblical Jesus, Holy Spirit, anything. It's just consciousness existence. And so that Big Bang, that initial like uh, what science is saying now, it was like as small as it could possibly be. And it separated out into the entire universe. The initial piece before that happened, I believe is existence without time. Mm. And as time comes into the equation, then we separate it out into the galaxies and the universe and the vastness of whatever the hell this is that we exist in currently. Um, but I have no fucking clue. I, <laughs> I try not to think about it because it's it's a rabbit hole. I think you could spend your whole life trying to
0: figure out. Well, you know, I'm I'm reminded of here is sort of like something you said earlier, where asking the question, what was going on before you were alive? It's kind of like these Zen cones where they're they're using words to point toward the truth that is beyond words. Yes. Which is kind of like the I forget who said that the artist uses. Lies to point towards the truth, something to that effect. So, there is this, there's this ineffable side to reality, and a lot of different disciplines talk about it, point to it. Even again, back to economics, these axiomatic assumptions like "man must act," like there's nothing below that. You can't not act. You can't rationalize it away. You can't argue it away because anything you, any way you try to approach it to refute it is an action so you're like you, you cannot refute your own axiom um and so i'm reminded here too where you said or earlier i think we said yoga means union i think that was, that was you that said they're not the author yeah. and there's this you know if we're pointing towards something outside of space and time and we're hitting paradox right we're hitting contradiction yeah that yoga somehow is you know, in the term union, it, it, it reunites these things. Um, and I, this other book I've been reading with another guest, The Seed of the Soul. Have you ever heard of this book? Yeah. By Amazing Gary Zukop. He talks yeah. about a lot of uh, wisdom traditions that talk about the edge of death being the unity of opposites, like you experience joy and sorrow simultaneously. So it's like we're bound in this little spatio temporal world where we think, you know, joy and sorrow are complete opposites but in reality they're somehow unified
1: well it's and that's a beautiful way to put it because it is it's all you ever heard the saying love hurts mm-hmm. like love is a very painful experience mm-hmm. to like truly love someone hurts right like yeah. you feel like there something's missing or like you want them to be a part of you and But at the same time, it's beautiful and you want it and you crave that feeling as a as a human being. And and I think that kind of all comes back to this idea of uh, your perception of reality is fundamentally you have control over this experience and realizing. See, everyone uses something else to control their experience and. a way that I can put this is like in our society, especially everybody wants to get married, have kids, boyfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend, all the above. Right. Mm. And the reason is, is because you want an object or someone to express or get love from. Mm. And so you begin to create a relationship in which you can manifest your love. You want to actually have this experience, and you use another entity to do that. Mm-hmm. And the entire purpose of this book is to make you realize that you are the one making that experience mm-hmm. happen. You don't need this object. You don't need this entity. You can drop it completely and just mm-hmm. feel love, just feel happiness, just feel joy. And granted, it's not that simple. I, yeah. I've been practicing yoga for over 10 years now. And I think. It all of these things just started clicking, I would say, like five years ago. And it took a lot of practice to get to that point. But now I can sit down and close my eyes and feel these things just because I want to feel these things. And I. I am aware of people that are capable of feeling it all the time, right? And it is not that far fetched. Uh, One thing you'll get to later in the book is this idea that this is the most complex chemical factory on the planet but has anyone given you the user's manual as right. soon as you take the time to look inside this chemical factory you can press the buttons why not why would you not give yourself serotonin when you wanted it would you not give yourself dopamine when you wanted it it's a very scientific thing it's it's not fanciful it's not heaven or hell or do good do bad it's literally like you are a you're an ape you're have the ability to realize this now take control and become aware of these things and you you can begin to like literally feel that you can begin to experience those things without that object
0: wow interesting so yeah this is It may sound a bit metaphysical at the outset, but what you're arguing here is that it's extraordinarily pragmatic, right? Once you actually figure out the dials within yourself.
1: Yeah. Um, All you have to do is sit down, close your eyes for 30 minutes and look around in there. Like the thing is, is that we were never taught to do that. We were never like, we didn't have a class that was like, Hey guys, uh, just so you know, you're a machine and your machine has levers that you can pull for the most part, you might be pulling them to the outside by having affection towards your mother or your father or your siblings. But today in class, we're going to practice giving ourselves those experiences with our eyes closed because it's entirely possible for you to trick yourself basically into having them and then eventually just having them all together. And so that's this book goes into that and it does it in a very, very good way. So I won't ruin it for anybody, but uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> That's super cool because, I mean, how beneficial could that be to the world if we could somehow give people this user manual to self? Yep. Um, you know, again, instead of assigning or attaching all of this meaning to external factors, you can now relinquish that attachment, go within and, you know, solve your own experiential problems. That to me really resonates loudly as freedom too, because you're letting go. You don't need the thing outside you to happen to generate this uh, level of experience. You can actually just create it yourself. Um, so something I want to get in. All right. This is great because sounds very metaphysical, but clearly we're headed somewhere very practical, pragmatic. The author defines love as human possibility And I'm reminded here of something Jordan Peterson said about this is an old Jewish, uh, I think it's from the Jewish Kabbalah, a cone about God. And it says, God is basically the being that is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. So all powerful, all knowing, and all present can be everywhere. What is the one thing that God lacks? And the answer is, Limitation, right? It's the unlimited force. <laughs> the only thing it lacks is limitation. And that's where humanity comes in. We are the, the, you know, we're made in God's image, but we're the limited version, if you will. Yeah. And that is where this, this ties back to love because you can't have possibility without limitation. If you're omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, there's no possibility. You just, everything is. Exactly. Or, or everything and that is just not. The,
1: so in that existence there's nothing yeah because of everything right yeah and it's a very it's very difficult for the human mind to comprehend it right but that existence is nothingness because right. in that existence there all possibilities have happened simultaneously and so therefore nothing can happen yes and yeah it, it's a very like difficult Idea, I think, and this is why, like, I basically say, like, I have no fucking clue. Like, I really (laughs) don't know. Um, I know this reality and this experience, and you know, in my life, I've definitely had some pretty insane experiences with and without drugs. Um, And I can tell you that there's way more beyond physical reality. Um, I'm sure tons of people will resonate with the idea of dreams and what they are. I think this is something that. Like, I think science today, like our version of science is very limited in its ideas Mm -hmm. and its possibilities because of this, like, we have to be able to see it, uh, to believe it type Mm -hmm. of mentality. So we don't talk about things like dreams, right? Mm, Where, Where like the CIA has done like full on experiments on these types of things and like, they're Declassified now, where you can literally be like, "Oh, the U.S. government has basically proven in extraterrestrials, astral travel, you know, uh, I forget what other crazy stuff the CIA has experimented with and proven to be a reality." Wow. But yet, science is like, nah, <laughs> yeah. we can't touch it, so it's not a real thing. Which is fine. I, my thing is like, experience it for yourself, right? right. Like. I've had enough experiences that show me truth and have led me, but like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, oh, I did this for three days and then this happened and it proved to me that this is this. And because what does that do for you? It just makes you believe in my nonsense, which like,
0: <laughs>
1: don't do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can be, you can access these aspects of existence directly yourself. And that exactly again. That's one of the key points here: is that you again, the words are limited; they can't explain the limit less necessarily. So we're just we're dancing around this point that we can never perfectly say. Um,
1: Words are lies that we agree on. Yeah, yeah. Best way that I've ever heard it put, and yeah, that I think this idea like uh, the possibilities created in a limited nature and. Uh, love. I, love is, a, I think, a great emotion to describe it. A lot of people mm-hmm. say like God is love and things like that. And I think the reality of it is human beings have a longing inherently to be one with everything and to be infinite.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and you can see this expressed in so many ways, you know, as human beings, we collect things, we hoard things. Uh, We want more of everything in, in so many different ways, whether it's love, whether it's money, whether it's cars, whether it's friends, like we all want more. And when we get it, it's not enough. And Mm -hmm. one way that I I used to say when I was younger, it's like, everybody has a black hole that they Mm -hmm. can't fill. And they, you're always trying to fill it, but you're never able to. And the only answer that I've ever found to that question is, trying to become one with that nothingness and just, mm-hmm. you know, close your eyes, turn it off. Um, it, it's the only way to like cope with a limited reality that we exist in is taking control of that self of that perception of the reality because it is limited, right? Like we do not live in a world where you can't have everything. And, yeah you see it like the richest people in the world are fucking miserable they yeah. they're not happy people right and the quicker you realize that and the quicker you like dismantle this image of once i have this much i'll be happy right the uh, more freedom you can acquire
0: yes that that's a very deep and important point i you know i i resonate a lot with the I've always said that the human heart is never satisfied. Yep. So there's this kind of this black hole within us. But the, again, that is what drives entrepreneurial and economic action. So it's like yep. that that desire can also be used positively, right? We can actually Absolutely. innovate and and create more wealth and more want satisfaction for others. And I've I've often thought too that that. So what we have there is this nothingness, right, in the heart. This this um again i think black holes of the best analogy it's like you can never fill it with things there's never enough things yeah. the heart is always unsatisfied we also see that in the universe right and that's what a galaxy is you have all these stars revolving around the nothingness of a black hole yeah so and then there's the big bang which you talked about earlier where everything came from nothing yeah. so it's like there's it's almost a metaphysical principle where something is defined and even dances around nothing. Yeah. If you know, that's an
1: amazing way to put it. It, The way that a a yogi thinks about it and yogic tradition thinks about it. And this is kind of where astrology comes from. Mm. It's that the macro replicates the micro. And Mm -hmm. so at every single level, the universe is the same. We, And we see it in nature, right? Like the circular patterns, the Fibonacci sequences Mm -hmm. that we see in flowers and in everything. We also see it in the universe and we see it all over, not only at the tiniest, tiniest speck of reality in the atom, we see it in the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And to come to terms with this like (sighs) blueprint that is our reality, I think can begin to start to shape what it truly means to have this experience and to realize that, yeah, we do. We, we exist around a black hole. And mm-hmm. I think, and so this is as a trader and as a yogi and just as a human being in general, uh, everything that I say, I have the ability and will change my mind tomorrow. So I w- asked her what I'm about to say with that. But one of the, I'm, I'm sure everyone at this point has, has heard of this idea of enlightenment um, mm-hmm. and what it means to become enlightened and things like that. And one of the bigger realizations that I have had, and I forget where I read this, but it was this idea that enlightenment is realizing that there's nothing to do. Mm. It's, it's realizing that you don't have to do something.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because as humans we're constantly trying to engage in something we are trying to act we're entertaining Mm -hmm. ourselves or we're building something or we're you know creating something in some way whether it's relationship or business and Mm -hmm. the realization that you don't have to do that that you can just be there that's what enlightenment means it's Mm -hmm. that is freedom because right now we have put ourselves in a cage where we have to do something we have to make money we have to be in love we have to be loved we have to do xyz we have to fill this yeah. pit and until you realize that you don't have to do that then you're just you're on yeah. the wheel existence S-
0: swirling the drain
1: <laughs> yeah exactly into the That's black it- hole
0: yeah i'm uh So for me, you know, with yoga, one of the big lessons that I took into the rest of my life was this concept of vinyasa, right? Mm. Which just very, I mean, as I was taught, at least it just means matching, or I guess you could say unifying breath and movement, right? You're matching your movement to your breath. Um, And this carried over for me immediately where I had, I had like athletic, athletic background. So I'd done many different sports before I got into yoga and when I went back to those sports or went to the gym, I started practicing vinyasa. And these, and it it makes you better. Frankly, you're just you're more and loose. Out. Yeah, you have better better uh, proprioception, where you can actually you're more uh, awareness of your body and space, and it's it's really powerful. And then, so is that what is that the the theme here? Then is it's this unification where like even if we're just matching. Breath to movement, because the other piece to that is that leads directly into meditation. Where like you start matching, not movement in that case, but you're just matching the rhythm of your breath, and it's diffusing your mind in a way. And and that meditation really changed my life. When I I think, I don't say I think, I experience the depths of meditation as being this place beyond time or words, where it feels very eternal.
1: No, you hit the nail on the head. And I'll go back to this idea of Western education, right? This is something that we've never been taught. Most people have been taught how to think. Mm -hmm. And thinking is an extremely powerful tool used correctly, but it also inhibits us from experiencing certain other things, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you were to smell a flower, you don't need to think about it. You right. just smell it. it yeah. w- when you taste food, you don't need to think about it. You just taste it. Yeah. And that is what meditation brings. That is what breath practice brings. And uh, the way that Sadhguru says it, uh, the author of this book, it's breath is the key to the universe mm-hmm. because of that, because it re-inhibits your ability to have an experience Rather than think about an experience,
2: Mm. because
1: those are two different things. And the latter, we were never taught. We were, you know, we were programmed to analyze everything.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, the thinking is the self reflecting, whereas the experiencing is the actual, the pre intellectual cutting edge of existence or something like that.
1: The way that it's talked about in like all like buddhism and like it's the monkey mind mm. because it is and, and i've said this multiple times like we are apes like i'm sorry but we have evolved yes. from creatures on this planet you currently exist in a body that you do not have full control of it will pee without you it will poop without you <laughs> it will excrete without you like this is an ape and as soon as you realize that then you can start to be like okay now i'm aware that i'm in the driver's seat of whatever this thing is let me start to take control of it and you begin to realize like like a lot of people try to turn the mind off but like if you turn the mind off you die right like your heart would stop beating you'd yeah. probably stop breathing like it's not something that you can necessarily do Yeah. Uh, and i'll put a big asterisk there but it's more about taking back the ability for your consciousness to step away from the mind the -hmm. same way that you do when you're dreaming or when you're sleeping, you're not thinking, right? So, so why, how are you in bed for eight hours, not thinking about anything Yeah. the the closest, like, um, another good way to think about it, right? Like we're all going to die. Uh, Every single moment of your life, you're getting closer to death. The faster you realize that, the better. And every single night, we die. Like Mm -hmm. when we go to sleep, we're literally practicing for our death. Yeah. And so, what the idea of meditation is, and this, you might have heard of detachment, right? Mm -hmm. That is death. Like death is the ultimate detachment. You don't take anything with you. This thing's gone. Where you go, I don't know. Can't tell you. Where you were before, I don't know. Can't tell Mm -hmm. you, but to be able to experience death is an extremely valuable thing to be able Mm -hmm. to practice death. uh, That in my opinion is the end goal or the idea of meditation Mm -hmm. to die in the sense of your ego, your attachments, your ideas, Mm -hmm. let them go, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: let them be, let, let the monkey do what the monkey wants to do and step away from it for a bit
2: Mm. go
1: back to nothingness go back to a different experience of reality um that i think is the point bringing in the ability to experience something outside of this existence i think is something that everyone can benefit from because you begin to realize like we are a speck of dirt in the cosmos to think that you're a big thing that you're important (laughs) that you're whatever yeah you're literally smaller than this on the scale of everything and if you can realize that then all of a sudden it's like oh okay like Yeah. yeah maybe you do have to pay your bills we do have to get food on the table but there's something much more important happening behind the scenes
0: yeah yeah there's an access point to humility there and humility increasingly important i think as things change more more and more quickly i want to ask about because maybe one another word we could use to put to this nothingness this You know, that's in the heart of man or in in a black hole or before the beginning of the universe is the sacred. And, you know, there's just, again, something ineffable, something beyond words. What are the capital truth or the capital T kind of thing? And it seems to me like we have this very deeply rooted, innate desire to have a relationship with the sacred, you know, people want to support a cause or people want to have this ultimate relationship or yeah. you want to have a bunch of kids, which is like the ultimate form of love. So. yeah, Is that related to it? Because, and I'll tell you where I'm thinking here is that the sacred then would only be I don't know if you use the word experience here, but it'd be like before you were born, you came out of the nothing. After you right. die, you go back into the nothing, the sacred. And then maybe, you know, as we said, in meditation, there seems to be an access point there as well. Is there um, some biological aspect to this where we're like programmed to want to relate to the the nothingness that is... Interwoven into the fabric of reality
1: interesting question i I would think so so um the there's a really old book. it's called the Yoga Sutras, mm. written by a man named Patanjali, I think like fifteen thousand years ago. Uh, wow really yeah, wow. really old and, and somewhere on the scale, I'm sorry, I might be way off. I don't really put weight behind those kinds of things. I don't try to keep them environmental. But anyways, amazing. If you're into this kind of thing, i highly recommend it. And the way that he starts the book, and now yoga. That's the intro to the book, dot, 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 and now yoga, <laughs> because you've tried everything. Right Now you're gonna try union. Now you're gonna try and be become one with reality rather than take little bites here and there. And so back to that conversation we were having earlier. Human like consciousness is limitless. It's it's infinite, it's mm. beyond physical reality. We see that when we dream, like you go you're going somewhere your consciousness whether you think you're still in your head or not i don't care that's great whether you think it's made up or you're going somewhere doesn't matter it's not this argument the point is your consciousness is experiencing a separate reality than this one Mm -hmm. the same and you could use the example of like a video game or vr your consciousness is having a separate experience than your physical body is. This line's a little bit more blurry, but dreams are much, it's a much easier differentiator. Mm -hmm. And so my point here is that consciousness has the ability to experience everything and more. And so because of that and because of our inability to be satiated by it, yeah, I I think that we have to continue to search for more and more and more and more and Mm -hmm. begin to go beyond whatever limitations we have because inherently consciousness doesn't have limitations Mm -hmm. only physical reality has limitations our body has limitations but your mind or like your experience your consciousness it has no limitations you can close your eyes right now and imagine anything really but i think the only thing you can't imagine is no time right which Mm -hmm again, paradoxical, but the ability for the consciousness to experience everything, but the physical form to not, I think creates an internal conflict that Mm. makes us search for more, that creates that black hole because you can't be satiated. Mm. And so, yeah, I I totally agree with it. uh, the word sacred and god it, it's funny that you came back with this conversation because that had popped up to me as well as this see Sadhguru does a lot of really weird things the author of this book is very much an eastern mystic guru yogi like mm-hmm. if you're super western you're gonna look at this guy and be like what the fuck is going on <laughs> and that's okay like I, I think what i say to a lot of people is like don't believe anything that he says like literally just assume that everything is bullshit and then try for yourself like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter what is going on or what somebody else is doing what matters is your experience of it and what can you take away yeah like I'll, and i'll say it because i said it before like i have had experience experiences that give me confidence in kind of some of the more insane things that other people might be like no that's bullshit." things like this. But for me and my reality, and my experience, that's not my truth. And so I'm not here to like argue with someone that like it's true or not true or whatever, Mm. I don't care. Mm. In my experience, it's true. And in my experience, I have gained a lot from it. And so I'm going to keep going down that hole until I either don't gain from it or, you know, it's off or like something's wrong because, that happens right like yeah. you're not going to you're not going to agree with everything everyone says and you shouldn't
0: yeah yeah i'm this is interesting to me so cuz you're making the point that who cares what other people think right and there's something fundamental here because we're talking about diffusing thinking right like thinking which i guess maybe here's the deal is that one way to think about it at least feeling is something that unifies, right? If you feel something, you're connected to it, you're experiencing it, whether it's a hot stove or a loving moment with your beloved or whatever, like you're connected. But thinking is the opposite, actually. Thinking is actually compartmentalizing and dividing and um, reducing, right? We're putting things in little buckets and categories and moving them around. So there's feeling, which drives unification, and thinking that drives division. And again, if we're talking about yoga as being unification, it's, um, I guess, getting out of the monkey mind, the thinking mind, into the feeling, experiential or reality. And this, we keep talking about unification, the word atonement, actually, which has a very heavy religious uh, yeah. connotation to it you know, the understanding of it is at one meant. So connecting and resonating with something. And I've found that for me, a real breakthrough for me in meditation was actually learning to focus on the feeling. Like if you really start, if you start out by counting, right, it's like counting the breaths in and out. So you're not thinking to kind of dampen the internal chatter. But when you get to that threshold of just you're not even counting anymore. You're just feeling the act of breathing. Yep. And that's when you get to these other places.
1: That are, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. when shit starts to get weird. Yes. yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that might be maybe a, a vector on this whole Western materialist mentality where they're constantly trying to think and reduce and understand. It's like, no, this isn't about thinking necessarily. There's another side of the coin that is, you know, feeling or, or, or non-intellectual existence something like that
1: yeah well and there's there's a lot of levels to it and i think this is actually to put it in like a very i think explicit way that people will understand better the reason why in my opinion we are so sex obsessed as a society is because it's very easy to feel that like Mm. it is such a strong feeling the, the dopamine release, the serotonin, the entire experience of masturbation or sex, all of it, mm-hmm. it's an encompassing experience. You're not thinking during at least a small portion. Some people don't think <laughs> during a lot of it, yeah. but you're just there. And that experience to now come back to, you know, a little bit less explicit, it's the same experience that a runner gets after a four mile run when they're in that high, right? right? Like they're not thinking about what they're going to grocery shop for later. They're just running. It's, it's the same thing of the guy that's hitting the baseball when he's at bat, like he's not thinking anything. He's just going to hit that ball. And in that sphere, in that flow, that's what we're talking about. Like that ability, that flow state, To be able to get in and out of that at will Uh is an extremely powerful thing. And and that experience is yoga. That experience of just being there, just there. Uh You're nowhere else. You're not thinking about something. You're not anywhere but right here. To take that experience and then try to pull it out across all aspects of your life. Whether you're writing or driving or coding or you know staring at the price of Bitcoin, yeah, to be able to just be there.
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I think in French they call the male orgasm the the le, le petite mort, like the little death. So it's like <laughs> a little. It's a little micro. Like you were saying, like sleep is kind of an experience of death, but yeah, the, you know, sex too can be kind of that gateway. And it's not just death. Again, it's birth and death, right? It's the place before life and beyond life. And you're, it, we're just, it's an access point. We're kind of like tapping into this raw experience. Um, and that would make sense if our culture is very divorced from a relationship with the sacred that we'd become overly sexualized, right. As, as a, as a expedient maybe to get there. we um, are just
1: looking for dopamine. That's it. <laughs> Like we are, we are literally rats in a cage looking for dopamine, and that is the one like physical button that we've all found. That's like, oh, I can get dopamine if I press or pull or twist this button, and all of a sudden we're all hitting it all the time because it's it's how we can get it. Yeah, and and that's that's really it, right? Like now it's about becoming conscious and being like, wait, I don't need to do this to get that. Like right. I can get it and you know my company's name is Tantra Labs and it's not because of sex um tantra actually means technology and so tantric sex is actually a technology of having sex it's mm. how to have sex in a sacred way and to use that word sacred yeah. and yeah. a lot of things can be tantra like you can have a tantric workout you can have a tantric uh, mm experience and it's it's not so again we named the company tantra labs because we're a technology lab we're a Mm -hmm. tech company and so it's just the technology of having sex and Mm. to speak on that and to speak on this french word of little orgasm Mm. uh, (laughs) i I just have to share because i think it's important like Mm. if as a man you can learn to not have a physical orgasm your sex will be a hundred times better than anything you've ever experienced and it's because that physical excretion is the end of your experience and it inhibits your experience from continuing where if you can instead build it up which is what tantric sex is all about it's extremely intense uh like (laughs) I haven't drank in like 10 years. Um, but in tantric sex, I am drunk, like completely drunk and you don't need sex to do it. You can get the same thing through meditation, but you can find these types of triggers in the human anatomy, the sexual organs being one of them that you can, uh, manipulate into giving yourself an overload of dopamine if you want to and and that's what tantric sex is about it's like hey instead of like finishing this experience after five minutes let's see if we can like get the body to keep like just keep pressing the dopamine button for like Mm. two or three hours (laughs) what will happen yeah it's it's exactly what you can imagine like it's an iv drip of dopamine like what do you what do you think is going to happen yeah, and and that's one way of getting it. And so, it all it is like tantric sex boiled down: be in the flow state during sex and don't stop. Like don't finish, basically. Yeah. Like as a man, don't just slow down.
0: Wow, porn is doing
1: you all wrong.
0: <laughs> it sounds like quite the business. If you could teach men worldwide how to handle, you know, that. I've
1: thought about it. <laughs> I I don't think I. Uh... <laughs> I, they'll figure it out on their own. I, I think it's really one of those things like if you really wanted to please your partner, learn how to not finish. That's mm. all it's all it is. Just be there.
0: Where like <laughs> is that from meditation and yoga or reading this book or how
1: it's you know what's funny? It's paying attention, which is what this book is all about. And mm. it's when you learn to pay attention to life. Like, again, stop thinking about life and just pay attention to life. All of a sudden, like I had this weird thing ever since I was a kid uh, with, so I was, I was raised religious. I was actually a youth pastor when I was like 15 years old. I did a youth group and I do sermons like once a month. And I, I was, Religious then and then I stepped away for a long time and I didn't like like structured religion, but I always felt this like something beyond Mm -hmm. just energy wise, like for me personally, I always felt something more intuitive in nature than just, you know, like what you see is what you get. Like you do have a feeling about things and if you can listen to it and understand it, it can begin to make more sense. And so from a from a very young age, I noticed something about masturbation as a male, which is that I was always really tired after. Mm-hmm. And everyone notices this, right? Like, duh, you're tired after you get off. Mm-hmm. But why? Like, think about it. Right. Like nobody ever thought about it. No. It was like mm-hmm. we're just like collectively we all agree like, OK, yeah, men get off and then they're tired. Well, there has to be something there. Right. OK. Physically, you're excreting something. OK. So maybe the, the physical act for the man produced this thing and now the, the system is tired because it needs to produce this you know, semen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what does that do to the system? Well, it's an additional burden. So now the system, instead of you know, just digesting food and making pee and poop or whatever your system is doing on a daily basis, now it also needs to make semen.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: okay so my energy levels are down what is what does that mean and when you start to go into that level of paying attention to it all of a sudden you realize like oh my productivity is less oh Mm -hmm. i'm not as willing to go out maybe i don't want to go to that business meeting or i i say something different and and the truth of the matter is that pragmatically your reality changed realistically your energy level shifted Mm -hmm. on a physical level, as well as potentially a spiritual or energetic level, because you're mentally drained, you're emotionally drained. Well, for a lot of people in Western society, masturbation is like a sin too. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a religious connotation on it. That's emotionally draining. And all of these things are playing into your reality and your experience. And that, freedom to, to free yourself from that, uh, mm-hmm. the addiction of masturbation that a lot of people have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and again, addiction to dopamine, it's, it's mm-hmm. not masturbation, it's dopamine that you're looking for. And this is the button to it. The sex, masturbation, all the same thing, right? Freeing yourself from it gives you energy on a physical right. level. And if you can realize that, and Free yourself from that jail, right? Mm. Because this is all about freedom, right? Not Mm. only will that give you the energy to free yourself on other levels, right? To free yourself financially or to free yourself physically from whatever place you might be trapped in. That energy will help. Mm -hmm. It will help you get there. And there's nothing to do with whether it's a sin or spiritual energy or God or anything like that. No, physically... You have less energy if you are uh, ejaculating. Mm. And so learning because, you again, you can press the button and not ejaculate. Yeah. And, and so that's the point. And so it's like, OK, so I can have this experience. I can get dopamine and I don't have to excrete energy uh, to do it. There's a more efficient way right. to have this experience. That's what it's about. It's really efficiency. Um, That's Yes, yeah, like, so... yogis are greedy. It, it, the idea is like, sure, you could get high on weed or you could get drunk on alcohol, but it's a temporary experience. So, if you could just give yourself the experience twenty-four-seven with no side effect, if you're just hunting that experience all the time, why not go for the version that doesn't end and has no side effects? <laughs> so...
0: Right, like choose this one. So yogis are economizing their access to dopamine. Or I guess yeah, we're the con- most greedy. Economizing and amplifying, you're saying too, because there's no side yeah. effects, there's no costs, there's no downtime. So that this, all right, now we're really getting somewhere because the flow state. You know, I talked about this with a cognitive scientist. And he's saying not only is this the most, this is really one of the most sought after states a human can be in, even higher yes. than. It, you can be in a flow state in sex, but you can also be in a flow state in a, in sport or in it, writing. In
1: everything in anything. Yeah,
0: it's which I guess is you're you, the framing you're using here, where we're in pursuit of dopamine, which is to say we want to be in a flow state as often as possible. There's a direct his uh, he made reference to data that says the more often you can induce a flow state, the happier and better everything yeah, is. exactly. Um yep. and so to tap into this flow state, which one of the things he thought I thought this was interesting too. He said one of the most reliable ways to induce a flow state is to have people play video games. Certain mm-hmm. video games, I, I don't think it was all video games, but certain video games can reliably induce the flow state. Which if yep. you've ever played video games, if you've ever really gotten into them, you've probably had that experience. Like it can be very um, you're forced, just there, yeah. Right. Yeah. Good
1: movies are like this too, right? Like how many times have you gone in you've seen a good movie and it's like, wait, two hours just went by. I feel like I wasn't even like, what just happened?
0: Yes. That's interesting too, that it changes your perception of time because we're yep. back to this, um, approaching timelessness through the flow state.
1: Yeah. And and you've probably heard of stories of like, uh even Sadhguru has a story, it's like he sat for 13 days. And there's many, you know, stories of enlightenment and beings throughout our history that have sat and not moved for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's because, yeah, if you're just there experiencing this like infinite bliss that you know we refer to as dopamine as a chemical process, mm-hmm. why move? Do you need yeah. to move? Is 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 it, I think on a physical level, sure. You know, the scientists out there are going to say you have to eat things like this. Mm. Sure. Again, I I don't believe or disbelieve anything until I see a person sit there for 13 days straight up. It's bullshit to me. So the, the point is is like we hear these stories over and over again and to our brains, we think like, fuck, I can't sit here for 20 minutes with nothing without being bored out of my mind. But like, if I gave you a heavy dose of dopamine, You'd probably just sit there and just enjoy it, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need to do anything. And there, there's a lot of uh, nuance in everything that we're saying. And thank you. I think you're you're breaking it down perfectly. And I want to put like an asterisk on all of this because what the the truth of the matter is that each person ha- is going to have an individual experience in mm. this entire journey. And. What I'm sharing is my current understanding of my own experiences and information that I've gathered along the way, and I'm doing my best to not, you know, taint my experience into the possibilities of what can happen. And a really good way to to think about this, so, so that book, Inner Engineering, is really good, and there's a there's a meditation that you can do as like a program after it's, it's like a 20 minute it's basically breathing exercises that help turn off the mind. And after that, there's something called Bhava spandana. And so Bhava spandana is, I forget the exact meaning of it, but the purpose of the program is to show you what's possible with intense meditation. Hmm. And in that program, they actually tell you, do not share your experience with anyone because you do not want to taint what their experience will be coming here. Mm-hmm. Like if I were to tell you, I went there and this happened and that happened mm-hmm. and I saw this or I did that or I felt this. All of a sudden, you go there and your, your imagination then goes, well, Russell had this happened, so I want this to happen. and. Mm-hmm reality is very much that way right like if i sit here and, and tell you like <laughs> tantric sex is the greatest thing on the planet and it's four hours long and you go and you try and do it and it's 20 minutes or it's eight hours all of a sudden you're like you're fighting yeah. rather than just having your own experience of it and i think that that's really important in all of this and that's been one of my my favorite things about this author and of guru is like it's just about your experience. It's it's about realizing that you cannot push your ideas onto someone else mm-hmm. and you shouldn't try to. It's each individual person's experience that defines their reality. And taking ownership of that for yourself is the most liberating thing that you can do. It, it is true freedom mm-hmm. to liberate yourself from someone else's opinion from someone else's not not a judgment but from their emotions mm. because people will press their emotions on you right mm-hmm. like the same way somebody might say bitcoin's going to go up or it's going to go down you not only choose whether you take that information in, but you're also going to choose whether that information makes you happy or sad. Yeah. And that ability to recognize that and to choose how you want it to make you feel Mm. is freedom. It is the freedom that we have physically. You might be limited, but inside you're not.
0: That's, I mean, a huge deal Like it, for that to be true is it could be such a medicine. I feel like for many people in the world today, my, so my experience in particular with meditation was I could not go to sleep quickly my entire life. Like every time I would lay down to go to sleep, my mind, my monkey mind was just chattering nonstop. It took me over an hour, usually like two hours of fall asleep every single night, like all while I was a kid. And it was incredibly frustrating. Like I couldn't figure out how to do anything about it. And when I discovered meditation, well, really it really was yoga first in my early 20s. And then meditation a couple of years later, once I figured out just the standard, you know, breathing in one, breathing out two, all of a sudden I could put myself to sleep in two minutes every night. And that was yeah. just, like, fundamentally like. Changed my life for the better. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, again, it seems like this is so <laughs> the Western mind tends to think if it's not chemically induced or you haven't pressed a specific button that it's not true. It's the power of suggestion, right? Which may be yeah. related to this tainting of experience you're just describing. But, um, I think science backs a lot of this too, right? Like the placebo oh. effect. And like, we we have so much autonomy over ourselves that we're not using effectively yep. because we don't know how. And I'll just read one excerpt here that I think sort of drills down on the purpose of this book. And, and to that point, he says, he says, quote, on this journey, the guru is not the destination, but the roadmap. The inner dimension is uncharted terrain. If you are exploring terrain that is unfamiliar to you, isn't it better to have signposts? You could find your own way, but who knows? It could take lifetimes. When you're you're on unfamiliar terrain, it's just sensible to take directions. On one level, that is all a guru is, a live roadmap, GPS, guru pathfinding system. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it's so cool to me that this you know, at first glance, you could just think, oh, this is some frou-frou yogi stuff, but it's yeah. actually kind of an ancient technology, right? It's like an ancient uh, user manual to the human psyche and human being.
1: I like to think about it this way, right? Like in our world we've spent so much time paying attention to things outside of ourselves right like we know how to program computers and we've built computers and we've done all these amazing things and so our society looks at us as like we are so much smarter than the people that existed five ten thousand years ago mm-hmm. but in reality the people that existed back then had time to pay attention to their system
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they paid attention to some of them paid attention to what was happening in this system and they mapped it out and they wrote about it. And mm. that information is accessible to us through ancient texts. It's also accessible to us through live experience. And, and that's what it's all about. And again, I, I think the biggest thing, cause I, I love Sadhguru and I, I am a disciple of his. Like he is my guru, but the, The most important thing that I have to express to everyone is like everything that he says is bullshit until you prove it's not. Mm -hmm. So do not think that this man is God or anything like that, because one, he's not saying that. And two, if you just pay attention and get the truth for yourself, you can begin to. I'll call it pick and choose what you want to believe, what you want to experience. And truly, it's not even about belief, it's about what you can prove. And Mm. if you give the ability for yourself to have those experiences, to open your mind enough to try to be responsible for all of your emotions. Mm. If you open your mind enough to try to Become the owner of the way that you feel towards anything that anyone else does to you, mm-hmm. you can begin to realize that you are in control. But if you just sit here and you're like, yeah, fuck you, this is bullshit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that and that's what that sorry, like cool and i think that's the the coolest realization of it all it's just like take what you want and if it works for you awesome if it doesn't work for you awesome
0: <laughs> like yeah
1: drop it leave it there
0: yeah i this is a great point and you know so we could say perhaps that like bitcoin <laughs> Inner engineering Mm -hmm. is premised on this don't trust, verify ethos. Exactly. Right? You don't need to trust the author, what he's saying. It's like, go out and verify it for yourself. And, you know, in doing so, you gain more sovereignty. You gain more empowerment. Uh, But with that comes more responsibility as well, right? Again, responsibility, your ability to respond. That is like we're back to that, where we started this final human freedom and within the, the heart or the mind of every person is that we don't have to just react to circumstances. We can actually choose how to react. It's not, it's not deterministic, right? There's a, a layer of freedom there. Um, so I, you know, I think this is, This conversation is getting really interesting to me now. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I
1: recommended this book. This is a Bitcoin book. Yeah. You have to realize.
0: (laughs) Well, this I think is very unexplored terrain for a lot of Bitcoiners. Um, But, you know, and and I identify myself as a freedom maximalist. And a lot of that comes from what I learned about the concept of freedom from authors like, um, oh my goodness. Krishnamurti. I don't know if you've read yeah. any of his works. Right. Yeah. You know, when we say the word freedom, again, Western materialist American mindset thinks like, oh, you mean civil liberties and whatnot. But that's yeah. not at all what Krishnamurti is writing about. He's talking about this freedom within yourself. Right. To be dispassionate about outcomes and really just connected to your, your own being. So I'm I'm very deeply interested in this.
1: Um, Well, let me tie it. I I want to tie it to what you said because I I had a very similar experience. And I I find that a lot of people coming into meditation in the West come to it through uh, some roadblock in their life, right? Like whether it's anxiety or the inability to sleep. And that is a lack of freedom. Right. Mm, like yeah. if you think about your, your sleeping example, why? Like, why couldn't you just go to sleep? Right. Like what, why didn't you have that freedom? I like, didn't have the user manual. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like how, how messed up is that, that like we exist and we are supposed to be the ones in control yet. We're not like, mm. we're not e- even now. Like if you go and lay down in bed, it, it's not like immediate, go to sleep. Although like, I'm sure you'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. So there is a lack of control there. There's a lack of freedom Mm -hmm. happening at the very, you know, existential level of the human consciousness right now, where we are giving our freedom away to so many different external situations, whether it's, and I think the, the sleep example is a great one because what it comes down to is it's that programming of think about everything Mm. And we never learn how to turn that process off, yeah. and so you just lay there and your brain's just still thinking about everything until yeah. it eventually burns enough calories that it like can't anymore, and then yeah. you're out, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: And it, you know, it is simple but not easy, right? Very simple to just, um. Vinyasa, I guess, with, you know, resonate with your own breath, just pay attention to the breath feel instead of think, but we're just not programmed for that simplicity in modern Western civilization, right? We're programmed for the opposite. So,
1: well, and let's, let's get to that word programming, because I love this word. And I love, like, he chose the words inner engineering and actually funny enough, a lot of the people that go to these programs are software engineers, mm. which is another reason why I think Bitcoiners will love it. Because if you understand technology, you understand hardware and software and you look at the human system, this is hardware and your mm-hmm. mind is software. Yeah. And we have learned and we've programmed ourselves to think. And so now it's like, okay, well, let's program ourselves to focus or just be and mm. That ability and that skill is very important. And one of the things I didn't realize it till my uh, like early 20s, practice. And it, it's the most simple concept and it, it's exactly what you're saying. Like, if you've never done this before, it's going to be hard and that's okay. Everyone sucks at everything the first time they do it. Like you didn't come out walking. You didn't come out talking. Would you had to go over and 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 eventually you could do it.
2: Yeah.
1: Meditation and the flow state are the exact same thing. You have to practice. You have to do it over and over and over again until it just becomes second nature. And you can just access that ability or that reality very, very easily. And you can begin to apply it to everything even sleeping right yeah yeah
0: yeah no excellent points there and um one of my favorite quotes from eastern philosophy is from musashi actually i don't know if you've ever read any of him but i think what so. he has uh he's kind of in the same camp as like sun tzu like the art of war he's he was a samurai he grew up you know sword fighting and all of this but one of his principles for strategic living. He just says very simply that the way is in training. So mm. you know and the way has a very uh, profound meaning in, in in Taoism. It's like the the way that the yep. um, the the way to be, I guess is kind of in a nutshell, but he was saying that the way is in training and I'd always I've adhered really closely to that that we are programmable, And those that understand that reality and take on the responsibility of programming themselves of um, the cognitive scientists I spoke to use this term auto poetic, where we actually are, you know, Yeah. Relating to our surroundings in a way that advances our goal, but we're also reconsidering where we're setting the goals. You know, we're more than just a complex system. Whereas a tornado could be a complex system but it will just kind of go somewhere that it it burns itself out. Whereas an auto poetic system navigates the world in a more sophisticated manner. I like that. Um, this just seems like something that's really lacking from modern Western materialist mindset. And um, yeah. again, we're not. There's
1: there's a there's a lot of things working against us. Science being one of them. Like it science is really good. And we're proving a lot of things about meditation, but you still have this like mindset of, I can't see it, touch it, taste it, feel it. Mm. So it's not real. Right. And meditation kind of is very similar to this. Like Mm. even though we're seeing brain waves, and you are seeing elevated levels of dopamine, we're seeing that people are, you know, healing different mental issues that they've had before through meditation. A lot of, it's really the older generations still fight it as you know pseudoscience and hearsay Mm -hmm. because intrinsically as humans like we and i'm actually going to tie this into bitcoin maximalism because i think this is a good point we latch on to an idea and stick to it as humans like this is why religions have been extremely successful throughout history, because as humans, we want to group together and believe in a single cause and stick Mm -hmm. to that cause. And this doesn't enable us to freely adjust to new ideas, which Mm -hmm. is why we fought gay people for so long, why we had slaves for so long, why we are fighting new technology, why the government is fighting new technology, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of these things, do not enable growth because we are too busy stuck in our old programming unwilling to go and learn something new or learn about something new and this is one of the things that that flow state i believe enables because what it comes down to is neuroplasticity so mm-hmm. when you're consistently thinking what you're doing is you're creating pathways that always do one thing so mm-hmm. To use Bitcoin maximalism as the example, it's like Bitcoin is the only coin all day. That's all you're thinking. Bitcoin is Mm -hmm. the only coin. Bitcoin is the only coin. Everything's shit. And if you consistently think that way, you do not give yourself the ability to even look at Ethereum like you can't go into this with an open mind. Mm -hmm. And that's not good. That is not a healthy way to exist Mm -hmm. just in general. If you were to go into it with an open mind and look at XYZ and then say, this is not good, that's a great thing. I love that. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I believe that there's a benefit to Bitcoin maximalism in the sense that a lot of people inherently don't research and they do blindly follow. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Bitcoin maximalism saves a lot of those people from buying bullshit. Mm -hmm. And they will buy Bitcoin, which is an extremely valuable asset. But it also keeps people from branching out and looking at some of the incredible technology that's being built in this ecosystem. And some of the incredible innovation that's happening outside of Bitcoin or even on top of Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. because you could begin to argue that true Bitcoin maximalism will never support layer two. And so now you start to get into this strange reality where a Bitcoin side chain isn't Bitcoin and you will have these factions pop up. That's mm-hmm. what Bitcoin cash is. Right. And the the sooner that we realize like the inability for us to adapt and uncover truth is what holds us back. Right. And I, I believe, you know, tying this back into science and kind of the, we have to become more open-minded to new possibilities with the ability to realize that we are wrong and that it's okay to be wrong and to experiment and fail. Like, uh, let's say Ethereum fails. Uh, Let's call it a decade from now. You know, Ethereum just totally fails. Did it fail? Like we got, we know that we want smart contracts. We figured out uh, and pushed forward the ecosystem in a way that allowed us to do peer-to-peer transactions through lending. We created decentralized marketplaces. All these things are happening outside of Bitcoin, and they've shown us that this is something that we want. And in a world where we are transaction, transacting in a peer-to-peer network, we want the ability to trade in a peer-to-peer network. We want the ability to leverage in a peer-to-peer network. Mm. We want the ability to lend in a peer-to-peer network. These are things that we couldn't have learned on base layer Bitcoin and that you're not going to be able to learn still for a few more you know, months and years on layer two Bitcoin. But we learned them on Ethereum over the last two years. And so right. even if it were to fail Is that a failure? I I don't believe so. And so I couldn't call it shitcoin because of the reality of what it's taught us about the market and about what we want and what we need to exist in a truly decentralized and peer-to-peer world. Now the argument of whether it's better on Bitcoin, things like that, whole other discussion. But the reality is those are technologies that we want uh, and that we need to exist. And the market is proving that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there is, you know, open-mindedness and freedom to me go hand in hand. Like there's this old saying that a free mind never concludes. And that makes sense yeah. to me, right? To ever think yeah. that you're concluded and this is the final answer. I mean, that is a totalitarian mindset. That is, my map of reality is now superior to all realities. I just don't think that works for me. Um, but there's the flip side, which is you can't just be purely open-minded about everything all the time. Like you have to have discernment. And judgment.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Or you'd be buying what? Poop coin.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's there's this dynamic balance between the two. And, you know, I, I'm in an interesting position myself because I don't identify as a Bitcoin maximalist. I've, you know, we have to put terms to these things. I call myself a freedom maximalist. So I just think that If we optimize for free choice, we get the best outcomes and we create the most wealth, et cetera, et cetera. But I hold 100 percent of my savings in Bitcoin. So my you may not what's the old saying? Don't don't tell me what you think, just tell me what's in your portfolio.
2: Yeah. So (laughs) um,
0: but I I think it's a really it is an interesting intellectual journey for me to try to understand how these assets become market-proven. How do we Cross the chasm from centralization to decentralization because it's nothing is born decentralized, including Bitcoin, right? It started out as an idea in one guy's head, presumably, um, to become what it is today. Hey, everybody. As you've no doubt learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is NIDIG. NIDIG's mission is to get Bitcoin into the hands of as many people as possible. One of the ways they are accomplishing this mission is by empowering banks and financial technology companies to offer their own Bitcoin products and services. As a true game changer in the industry, NIDIG is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, NIDIG has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and has quickly become a leader in this space. So, whether you are a professional investor looking for asset management services or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider NIDIG your single source solution for everything Bitcoin.
1: I was going through my phone, actually. Really long story short, just changing my wallpaper. And I happened upon this quote that I had screenshotted of Siddhartha that I wanted to share with you because um, it's one of my favorites. And it's this How people are is their choice. How I am is my choice. No matter what they do, no one can make me angry, happy, or unhappy. These privileges I have kept to myself. Mm. And I think that 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 sums up the book Um, and, you know, kind of to resume where we left off, it also sums up why you would want to hold Bitcoin. It sums up why you want a monetary system that you hold the keys to, that you agree to the rule set of. It enables you to have that freedom. It enables you to make that choice.
0: Yeah, I think excellent quote reminds me again of the the Viktor Frankl final human freedom, you know, that we always have the choice within us to respond to our external circumstances. And so, and this is kind of a interesting area because it's like, okay, we always have choice, but we also need to optimize our technologies and systems or choice you know like clearly there's a way to to coerce right to, to be coercive is to sort of put one of the parties in a transaction into a position that they're not really choosing it you know inflation yeah. being one of the obvious answers here but there is you know again choice can never actually be taken away it just seems like we can design um again, technologies and systems that optimize for this reality uh, that we all have choice?
1: Well, we see it a lot in... uh, I don't want to go down like any super crazy conspiracy routes because it's easy to go down that route, but I'll keep it, you know, objective as possible. Facebook as a technology and a company has created a product where their goal is to influence your choice Mm -hmm. and they make the most money when they can influence your choice to stay in their product. Mm -hmm. And so that feedback loop of technology that imprisons its users in its ecosystem is something that you know an extreme capitalist society has created, um, because when you don't look at like when your only care is like profit and not uh, human beings or well-being or whatever else you want to put it as, yeah, just optimize the number. You know, more users, more time spent in the app, more purchases, more you know CPA clicks, more conversions and don't do anything else. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we've very much created lots of different systems like that. You know, one of the reasons I and most others, I think even yourself included, are a part of the Bitcoin movement is understanding that the fiat money system is the same system that Facebook created where it is designed to imprison the end user in a system of taxation and recirculation of currency that 99% of people are not meant to escape.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, I, again, you could go down the entire rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and you know why it is that way. But objectively speaking, that's what this system is.
0: Yeah, and it's very nuanced and murky because clearly Facebook doesn't force you to use the product, but it, no. it has built this network effect that is you know seemingly insurmountable, although it, it has been disrupted before, right? Facebook disrupted MySpace, but um, I think the deeper thing here for me, like specifically with something like Facebook, that I, I agree with you. Like it's preying on and exploiting these psychological attack vectors in people, right? Trying to, yeah. you know, th- I'm just reflecting on the documentary, The Social Dilemma, I think it was the title yeah. of it, mm-hmm. where these technologies are designed to trigger like very low brain stem responses. So it's, it's mm-hmm. triggering your, your animalistic, addictive circuitry. Yep. And it seems like the only way to fix that sort of predatory design is if we have a world built on Bitcoin where people own their own data, right? All of a sudden, instead of being the product on Facebook, you know, in one of these, and they don't exist yet. It's very early, but in theory, Bitcoin could allow you to monetize the data you are creating, your digital footprint that you're creating Mm -hmm. in the digital space. Instead of Facebook harvesting that and selling it to advertisers and keeping all the margin, the individual yeah. could keep the margin instead. Mm-hmm. So that seems like the only way in my mind to break this uh, natural monopoly that they've established.
1: There's a lot of benefits to it as well. And at, at the end of the day, there's, there's so many deep-rooted issues that are solved uh, with a public record that mm. is immutable. Um, actually something that I was speculating with one of our advisors when COVID first happened is this idea that, uh, you know, medical records are kind of, uh, the, the data of medical records is extremely valuable,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but also extremely sensitive, right? Like mm-hmm. you might not want, again, cause of the society that we've built, especially in America, you might not want your insurance company to know, some of the things on your medical records. And so you want it kept private. And so what I'm getting at here is with a public key private signer system like Bitcoin, you could actually store medical information in a totally public forum so that anyone doing any type of research could have access to medical data with no person's name on it. But then, using your private key, you can verify Mm -hmm. this is my medical information. So, you know, and this was before vaccine passports were a thing and, Mm -hmm. you know, subject of a lot of uh, stuff. And I'm not trying to get into that today. But the, the point being, in a world where we did need to identify ourselves and our medical information, not only could you share it publicly without needing to worry, you could also have access to it for yourself Mm -hmm. and store it in a way where everyone can use it. That technology is blockchain. That technology is Bitcoin. That technology is coming and there is no stopping it. And the world that you described where we, the user, are our data and we are paid or incentivized to share that data is also coming. Because why not? Why would we live in a world where, you know, Facebook exploits your animal instincts for profit yeah. when you could opt in and out of different systems and be incentivized to do so? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I agree that the market will go that direction, um, and it's at, you know, I, <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot recently. That we have become so accustomed to coercion in life right in in that's what the state is by the way just like it is the apparatus that we have collectively said hey let's give all our powers of coercion compulsion and violence to this one entity so we can not have to deal with it um but clearly that gets abused too (laughs) that gets you know Mm -hmm. gamed and corrupt and all of that and the thing i'm thinking about recently is that we know in economics that all profit is psychological first. Like we always think of profit in financial terms, but it's truly psychological. Like if Mm -hmm. someone will buy a Leonardo da Vinci painting for $50 million, it's not like the paper and stuff just trading on the market at that. It's like some guy or girl, the buyer is getting a psychological profit from making that purchase. Yeah. But when we create socioeconomic systems that have coercion embedded within them, such that, you know, there are trades occurring where one side of the trade is not realizing that psychological profit. Yeah. That it's, we're actually like, the analogy in my mind is we're building our socioeconomic house on sand, you mm-hmm. know, instead of building it on the firm foundation of voluntarism, you know, mutual consent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's value destructive. And the Sorry, I'm going on a rant here, but I just want to read this. No, you're fine. I agree I with you. I said there's value in freedom, truth, and love. Value creation cannot be forced. You can't force someone to be free or embrace freedom. Yep. You definitely can't force truth, because that's a lie then, right? <laughs> truth, truth is discovered. And yeah. you sure as the hell can't force love, right? Love is reciprocal. Um, so therefore, volunteerism is essential to, or maybe even creates, all value. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we'll move into this, this is, and maybe this frames up the importance of Bitcoin. It's like we have the possibility of a non-coercive or coercion minimized socioeconomic system. And it's almost like the discovery of steel or something. We found this material (laughs) that lets us build, you know, larger and more sustainable civilizations just by getting the, the coercion out of it, because the coercion, it always backfires somehow, right? You might think you've dominated someone in a transaction or you've inflated the money supply or you've won the war, but you're creating externalities, right? It's, it's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Rant over, but it's like, how do we get this? How do we move on to a, to a higher level civilization? It seems to me like the only way is to get coercion out of the equation.
1: Yeah. I, I hope that in our lifetimes, we see it. I, in my youth thought it was possible and as I grow older it seems like our children will be lucky to see it because it takes a long time to change the collective mind Mm -hmm. and you can do a lot at like the small scale level and because even like we talk about coercion right and truly the biggest lie that we've been fed is that you have to do these things because everyone is doing it. And so I'll speak, you know, from my own experience um, this idea of getting married and having children Mm -hmm. is very much programmed in every Mm -hmm. human being. And it's very strange. This is why, you know, we had a problem with gay people for so long as well, because Mm -hmm. it's like, what do you mean? You're not going to have children because we're so hardwired to repopulate and keep the planet going, it's literally in our DNA. Yeah. This animal body is like, no, we, we, you know, we have to propagate the species. Mm-hmm. And so when you go against that grain, like for me, because I don't want to get married and have children,
2: mm-hmm.
1: people, don't, you'll change your mind when you're older. Right? Yeah. You're just young. When you, when you get older, you'll change your mind because it's so like against the norm, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: the same way that, you know, Bitcoin was it's less against the norm nowadays, but Mm -hmm. was more against the norm a few years ago and very strange and weird. And Mm -hmm. we kind of have to hit this level where like a certain amount of the population sees it and values it. And then the collective, you know, gets in tune, Mm -hmm. but the amount of time, like if we look at Bitcoin, it took 10 plus years for us to get to this point. And now at this point, you're still looking at decades before it's adopted at a world level, right? Like, of course, we're seeing countries adopt it. We're seeing some of the larger you know, politicians in the United States adopt it and talk about it. But that's much different than Poverty adopting it—that's much Mm -hmm. different than the people that have never even been on the internet adopting it. That's it's it's an entirely different world that we're talking about entering. And I'll sum it up with this one point because this was really what I wanted to get into, and then I went off on that strange rant. I'm sorry, Um, but this idea of the same way that we've been sold—you know—get married, have children. We were also sold on the latest iPhone. Yeah. We were sold, have the latest technology, drive a Ferrari, get a house, buy some land in the city. Oh, you don't want to be in the city? Well, you can have an even bigger house out in the country. You were, you're an American? Why would you expatriate and live anywhere else? America's the best country in the world. Mm-hmm. All of these are just stories that we tell ourselves the the only truth in it is are you happy or not mm-hmm. are you free mm-hmm. or not and if you're stuck working 80 hours a week to pay for your apartment in the city are you free right. is yeah. that freedom are you ever going to escape from that and and those are the questions that i think are important but most people are too busy you know, in that reality to ever mm. think about escaping, to ever think about changing. And it's also a very scary thing mm-hmm. to change the narrative that you've been sold your entire life, right?
0: Yeah, because I mean, that narrative, especially if habituated for long enough becomes ingrained in your identity, right? You start yeah. to identify with the Ferrari or the car or the whatever. Um, and it's increasingly difficult to separate yourself from it and evaluate it Mm -hmm. and yeah I did this experiment years ago I guess it's still useful and that if you try to think about how you would spend each day in excruciating detail like I wake up you know what kind of sheets do I wake up on what do I do? I brush my teeth I read a book you know like go through your day you know hour by hour or even minute by minute assuming that money were no object. Yeah. And I think that for me, at least that was the pattern I started to try to back my life into. It's like, I figured that out I I wrote it down and then I'm like, okay, there's my goal. There's B I'm at a, now I'm going to spend a few years kind of building the bridge Mm -hmm. and it gets you, hopefully keeps you in the headspace to evaluate that. So you don't get so, you know, encrusted with this, pattern of being or, or identity that you may not even be thinking about at some point. Um, yeah, no, I, I love that. And I
1: think another like addition to that same thought process. And cause I'm sure you've seen a lot of people like this. Like I know plenty of people that have made money that you would think is silly, right? Like the amount of money that no one person should have. And I know plenty of people that have that They've made it within the last 24 months and they're no happier than they were 24 months ago. A lot of them right. are much more miserable. Yeah. And the problem is if you make money, your goal, that same reality that you described of like, what, if money wasn't an object, what would I do? Right. Most people, I would say the first time you do that exercise, it's a, it's a difficult one. Because yeah, what's the point? Because yeah. our entire life has been programmed around success means making money, means having nice things, means you know, everyone thinks that you are so yeah. la-di-da. And all of a sudden, if you shatter that, that narrative that you've been pitched, it's uh it's a different world.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No, it's it reminds me. Steve Jobs' quote on money, uh, you know, something to the effect where he was determined to not let the money destroy him. You know, He was worth, I don't know, $100 million at 24, 25 years old. Yeah. But he had prior to that made a commitment. Like when he was on the rocket ship, he's like, I cannot let the money destroy me. And I think yeah. it's really important to go through this with yourself, whether mm. you're trying to get rich or not, Like to just be in the mindset of what you would do in that situation. Mm -hmm. will help you put down really solid philosophical anchors, I guess. So you know what to do should you end up in that situation. Yeah. And um, it's because it really can, you know, money is power. And if you just get a huge concentration of it and you don't know, there's no mission in your life or there's no meaning, there's no direction, then it can very well destroy you. You know, it's again, Mm -hmm. absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. If you have yeah. that much power, it can mess you up. Yeah. Um, so this is maybe a good segue, actually, because this is you need to choose how you're going to respond to life. Mm-hmm. Right. That's another kind of core theme to this book. And I love the way the author described responsibility. Yeah. And so. I'll read just a couple of excerpts to get us going here. Author writes, quote, responsibility simply means your ability to respond, which i had never thought of it that way. It's super cool. If you decide I am responsible, you will have the ability to respond. If you decide I am not responsible, you will not have the ability to respond. It is as simple as that. All it requires is for you to realize that you are responsible for all that you are. And all that you are not. All that may happen to you and all that may not happen to you. So, it's just so powerful to take responsibility, even for things that may not be causally uh, generated by you, right? If you get, I don't know, uh, a storm storm, blows up your house you know if you just take the thought i had is you could sit there and sulk right the tornado took out my house yeah but the longer you sulk the more you're really going to suffer ultimately the moment you decide i'm going to take responsibility for this is the moment you start to take action you start to plan and take action and fix the situation so the quicker you can get past this abdication of responsibility, whether you're sulking or whining or complaining or you're mad, whatever it is, and get to responsibility, the better the outcome.
1: Yeah, I I think another way to think about it in, in language that our generation is more accustomed to is, if you aren't responsible, then you're a victim. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And if you're a victim, then you do not have the power to rectify the situation because a victim can't fix anything they're the victim so do you want to be a victim of life do you want to be a victim of your circumstance i don't so i choose to be responsible for anything and everything that happens to me and around me because that gives me power inwardly Mm -hmm. to approach every single situation and and you probably have another quote that you'll say around this and it's this idea that it doesn't mean that you can control everything physically around you Mm. of course like there are many things outside of our control the price of bitcoin included Mm. but it's your responsibility of you know did you let it affect you or not did you make this decision or not? Did you choose to approach it with a a grace and a, you know, courage, Mm -hmm. or did you choose to be mean and angry? And all of those are our responsibilities. They're all the way that we respond to the world. Mm -hmm. And when you think very simply about it, All that we have is our experience of life. And if you take responsibility for your experience, that is freedom. It is the ultimate freedom.
0: Yeah, Spot on. And uh, this segues nicely into this next excerpt. He writes, only if you realize you are responsible, do you have the freedom to create yourself the way you want to be. Not as a reaction to the situations in which you exist, reactivity is enslavement, responsibility is freedom. When you are able to create yourself the way you want, you create your life the way you want as well. Your outer life may not be a hundred percent in your control, but your inner life always will be. Mm. I mean, this one's like just. It's all on you, all right? Yeah, yeah. You, no matter what, no matter what's going on. And again, I'm back to Victor Frankl. That book is so profound, but he's in an internment camp, right? His whole family's been murdered. Everyone, mm-hmm. He's been tortured. He's been starved. He's been beaten. He's in the cold. Mm-hmm. And he still somehow digs into himself and finds responsibility to the point where he can respond positively to his circumstances. Yeah. And that made all the difference. You know, that's how he he survived. And he talked about other victims in the camp too, the internment camp. And he said it was only only those people that had done something similar. Usually they they had a religious underpinning, right? They had had a deep well of responsibility to draw on. Those were the ones that were able to psychologically survive in those circumstances. So this isn't just like some you know, woo-woo philosophy, feel good. <laughs> this is like very practical survival uh, tool, tool set, I guess.
1: Yeah, well, when we think about it logically, and this is one of the things I love about the author and why, you know, I was so attracted to him, especially in the beginning, is he explains everything in a very logical way. And so when we look at, you know, going through life this way and going through life as a victim or someone taking responsibility. Your mental attitude controls your entire biological system to the point where if you are stressed out, it's difficult to sleep. So it's easier to get sick. Those tiny details control your entire life experience. It literally your mental attitude decides whether your body wants to give you d- dopamine or serotonin today. Mm. It literally just a mental shift in this is great versus i hate this is enough to change your chemical balance.
0: Right.
1: And once you understand that it's like okay so you know we talk about like you're on an emotional roller coaster but the truth is you're on a chemical roller coaster and you are in control but no one ever told you that. that's the truth Mm -hmm. and so now realize like oh i am in control of my chemicals no let me asterisk you can become in control of your chemicals um you are in control subconsciously it's just none of us have ever really tried to control our chemical Mm -hmm. balance in the system and it sounds crazy but uh, people like the author of this book, and many other people throughout the ages have dedicated their lives to these kinds of things. It is what you know yoga is literally all about. It's not just stretching. It, it's about learning how to control the way that you respond to life and through that, the way that your system gives you chemicals. And it, it's it's not like rocket science, right? It's it's just, Oh, if I think, like, thinking positively to manifest stuff is, that's woo-woo. Thinking positively in the system will give, like, give you chemicals, try it. Like, close your eyes, think about someone that you love, and, like, really just, there you go. Like, it's not, like, they didn't make you feel that way, you made yourself feel that way. And that like, for me has been one of the biggest realizations that he helped me come to. And that in and of itself is enough. I don't think I need anything else this lifetime.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, I, I heard this speech a long time ago. I may have said this before, but, um, it was a football coach saying that he teaches his team that they there's only two things they can control in life which is their attitude and their effort mm. and to your point attitude really is just the lens we're putting on right you can be in the exact same situation but you can have two opposite outcomes depending on which attitude you want to put on right could be a good situation could be a bad situation but if you put on an inappropriate attitude you could get a, a undesirable, undesirable outcome. So we always have the choice, right? We always it's always there. It's always sitting right in front of us. And I'll read his writing so beautiful. So I'll read another one here. What most people forget is that the past exists within each one of us only as a memory. Memory has no objective existence. It is not existential. It is purely psychological. If you retain your ability to respond, your memory of the past will become an empowering process. But if you are in a compulsive cycle of reactivity, memory distorts your perceptions of the present and your thoughts, emotions and actions become disproportionate to the stimulus. And he goes on to say the choice is always before you to respond consciously to the present or to react compulsively to it. There's a vast difference between the two, and it can make a world of difference. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things I really get from meditation, it's almost like you're breathing into that gap, right? It's, it, this isn't, it is psychological, like he's making a good point, but it's about getting to the base of your psychology, you know, like in meditation. I'm focusing on breath. I'm counting the breath. I'm focusing on this, the sensation of the breath to really calm and center the mind. And it's when you get, you know, through enough repetition, you start to get into this access point that's almost pre psychological or something. It's a it's a bliss state. So it's the flow
1: state. Yeah. The it's flow the state. same. And you'll see, like Sadhguru loves, um, like famous sports players and like just sports in general. And he knows a lot of these people and he always in the programs encourages like playing games, uh, especially with like physical games, right? Like Frisbee or soccer or cricket. And it's because when you're a hundred percent engaged, when you're in that flow state, that is yoga that is Mm -hmm. union you're not anywhere else but right here Mm -hmm. and from that state you are how do i put it you're the most connected you can be because you're Mm -hmm. not thinking about something else you're not living in a, a mental a psychological world you are just existing and existence is beautiful it's it's the Mm -hmm. whole point it's all these thoughts and patterns that we've again the stories that we've been told and that we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. that distract us and keep us from experiencing this absolutely insane happening that is right now
0: yeah well said and the 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 flow state you know it's so peterson right talks about the flow state as when we're optimizing the, the flow of information. So again, it's not just, it is one of the highest places people want to be. One of the highest experiences we can have is to be in a flow state. That's very, it's blissful, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also extremely practical. Like if you want to learn yeah. something really well, you want to get into a flow state. If you want to enjoy a moment, like and thoroughly enjoy it you want to be in a flow state so um and it's it's related to fittedness it seems like because you know we're all agents we all have agency we're all acting within arenas and it's like the more concordant we can get the tighter we can get the feedback loops the more in flow we are, right? We're going with the flow of life. And this doesn't mean like just letting go and going with the flow. This means yeah. you're, you're riding the wave, right? You're kind of on the edge between order and chaos, but you're an active so participant in it.
1: One of, the, one of the bigger, I'll say, lessons that I'm still learning is it's very easy to trick yourself. And I mean that in a lot of different ways. Um, The first one being like the mind has its own agenda Mm. and it's not that it's not your friend, but like, it's a tool. And the, the same way that the body wants to repopulate the planet, because that's the entire purpose of this thing is to keep the species going. So, it puts out chemicals that make you horny so that you'll go propagate the species. Like it's not, again, it's, it's, I was going to say it's not rocket science, but it's very much science. Mm. And so once you realize like, not that the, not that it's not on your team, but that this is a tool and you have to make sure that you are utilizing the tools, but that you're not, tricking yourself with them. And, and so what I mean by that is is when you, we talk about the flow state, it doesn't mean, you know, like follow whatever emotional drama or chemical imbalance you're experiencing today. It's more so that there is an experience of life that exists without the convolutions of the mind. And in order to cultivate that experience, you practice it through doing things like being 100% involved in something, whether that is breathing and meditating or it's playing a sport or running a mile. uh, There's tons of different ways to engage your consciousness without thought. And, And this is something that Western society has very much excluded from the curriculum. The idea of experiencing life without thinking about life. We were educated on the premise of you. I think, therefore I am Mm -hmm. when in reality you are. And the more that you can just experience the, I am not the, I'm thinking that I am
2: Mm
1: -hmm. the, the more that you can have an entirely different perspective on life and and that is the flow state and uh, one final point on that you can be in the flow state with thinking uh, it it's possible to have that state with anything and everything mm-hmm. um it's just about learning like how to have it that's all
0: yeah completely And i'm reminded of this old quote the mind's a great servant but a terrible master <laughs> and, and it's like once you yeah which again in western cool. western world we identify we're all descartes children right i think therefore i am so we think that i the thinking thing is i and that's not yep. true the thinking thing is a subset of your total totalized being yep it's and, a tool yeah it's a tool and thinking you know we know what thinking is it's reflection it's often self-reflection but can also be reflection on any experience we've had, right, we can spin up simulations and evaluate them and compare them and decide what to do next. But reflection means that it's necessarily a distortion, right? It's not reality. Yeah, exactly. You know, so there's a there's a being, there's a thinking that's an act of reflection, but being is actually seeing directly, like you're actually experiencing this pre intellectual moment as it arises. Yeah, and we're just so detached from that in Western civilization. Well, uh,
1: again, it's it's this idea. Like, I I don't want to go like too philosophical, but you know, fuck it. This is the direction <laughs> we're headed. In. This is
0: the place for it.
1: <laughs> um, see, I have this question right now, and. I am very much in a point in my life where I believe and am focused on finding the answer to it because I believe that it's the only question that I've asked myself that I don't know the answer to and that I feel like it's important for me to know. Um, Speaking purely about myself and from my own experience, and that question is, where was I before I got here here being you know this reality, this experience, this life, where was I before this? was I before this? And I think that you could argue that there's no way to know the answer. You could argue that um, <laughs> any any kind of conclusion is uh kind of again the mind playing a trick on you um you know you could argue you were nowhere and in my experience again i have had my own glimpses of what this reality truly is that time itself is not linear but circular Mm. and that consciousness itself is infinite and so from the lens of those assumptions then this consciousness has the ability to find the answer to that question and i believe that the answer to that question can frame this existence because the current existence or my current experience i'll say is framed in the mentality of you only live once. And this is the first time. And from that reality, the same way that if your reality is when you die, you go to heaven or hell, you will make different life choices. Um, For instance, you know, had you had 100 lives before this, and 100 husbands and wives, maybe you're not going to get married this time around, you know, maybe you're going to remember how how much of a nightmare it was. I'm kidding. Um, and so in my experience and what I'm interested in personally right now is, is finding that answer, um, I think that it's possible. I, I personally have had enough experiences in my life that have shown me a glimpse beyond the veil, so to speak, um, and that's just my personal experience I, you know I...
0: yeah the oh, a lot of things there one the notion of time as circular that's how the ancients regarded time mm-hmm. like one one of the defining features of the enlightenment was we decided time was linear mm-hmm. right we moved from this one model of time to a new model and it had a lot of benefits you know when when we consider time as linear that's what leads to capital accumulation and economic planning and all of these things but you know like all decisions there's a trade-off to it and we've we've gotten away from this circularity and it's um it's interesting to think about you know one thing that comes to mind there is plato said all knowledge is remembering so yeah. true knowledge yeah true knowledge is remembering and then something i'm like the question as you posed it like where was i before here when was i and it's almost as if like where the the secondary question to me is like where do you draw the boundaries of i right mm-hmm. like where when where does i start and stop and i've Again, this is one side of our mind trying to draw a line around something and call it an answer. But reality seems to be very continuous. You know, like it's, this, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of interacting, interpenetrating patterns. Um, I, I've been writing recently on this piece, uh, exploring what's called material engagement theory. And literally, scientists today, we have no idea where the mind starts and stops. We can't, we can't I mean, draw a line between mind and matter.
1: But like right now, point to where you are. Where like where are where is your mind? Right? Like, is it here? Because no, this is just where you're viewing reality from. Yes. But when you close your eyes, where are you?
0: Yes, and I, I like that you bring up closing the eyes because the example they use in material engagement theory is the blind man's stick. Actually, uh, interesting. they say they say that where is the blind man's mind, right? Does it, Because he's seeing through the stick. He's not seeing mm-hmm. the stick. The tip of the stick is encountering patterns in reality that, that feed, the haptic feedback goes through the stick and it reconfigures his cognition in a way that he can navigate reality. So then the yeah. question becomes like, where is his mind actually? Is it, does it stop at the skin? Well, not necessarily because the stick is an extension of the mind. But if this is an extension of the mind, doesn't his environment also become an extension of the mind? So what you end up, the the conclusion, it's not really a conclusion, it's a theory. The mind is just a interactive map of reality. And they're they're like two feedback patterns, right? This pattern is emulating that one. And then clearly it gets even more complicated when you consider that we start building houses and changing our environment consciously. So that we're changing our environment and our environment is in turn changing us. We're in this Mm -hmm. dynamic relationship all the time with mind and matter. And nobody knows where to draw the line. It's like, what do you call matter? And what do you call mind? We have no idea.
1: So in inner engineering,
0: um, does Sadhguru talk
1: about his kind of uh, enlightenment experience or his uh, life changing moment, kind of where he realized and got to where he is? Does he talk about it in this book? Have you read it? Um, it's, he talks about Chalmandy Hill.
0: Yes, he did. He did talk about that. Yes. So
1: for anyone listening to this and, and even you after, there's a he does a TED talk on it and it's like 10 minutes long. It's really quick. He's also super entertaining to hear speak because he's really witty. Um, but anyways, he, the experience that he describes and what happened to him is he says, I sat on down on the rock and all of a sudden i did not know what was me and what was not me mm-hmm. the boundaries of my sensation had gone beyond my body mm-hmm. and that that experience was a turning point in his you know perception of reality in which you are no longer just you know this person that your entire life you have been this you know male or female mm-hmm. human being Now, all of a sudden, you're also the rock and the other guy walking by. And so you can imagine that if you were consciously experiencing that and capable of consciously experiencing that, okay, so then what am I, you know, if, if I'm capable of experiencing everything, what is that? Where does that end? Where does it begin? Does it end? Does it begin? Um, and to speak on like the, the circularity of time, if you look at nature, if you look at life in general, everything is cyclical, mm-hmm. everything, the pattern mm-hmm. on a flower, the, you know, the root system of a tree, the way that the branches fall out, everything goes in a circular pattern, the season, the sun, the earth, the moon, everything is rotating.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why would time just be a straight line? Yeah. Yeah. What I think for human beings, as smart as we are, um, we were putting leeches on ourselves as treatment, what, like 70 years ago, maybe 50. Yeah, yeah. Science is new. We have no idea what is happening. And it's very, very uh. silly for us to believe that science has all of the answers today at this point in the paradigm. I believe it will have all of them at some point because we will be able to prove a lot of the things that even I'm speaking of today and we're even seeing with you know, brain scans of monks and people doing meditation, the way that they are able to shift the way that their brain patterns are happening. And so if you look at, you know, the mind as a map of reality, Mm -hmm. as a tuning fork, then if you were capable of changing the dial, of controlling the system, of Mm -hmm. changing the chemical balance, why wouldn't you be able to have a different experience of reality? Why couldn't you also be the rock or the other guy if this is just an antenna to something, if it's Mm -hmm. a receiver or also a projector? um in in my experience
0: yes <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so you're yeah humans are smart we're adaptive but we're also self-deceptive right and i think mm-hmm. that it's kind of a necessary thing because when we're survival creating things we have to experiment right so we need to like mm-hmm. believe a certain thing is going to work you have to have some kind of faith in. The thing you're doing to see if it works but that can also yeah. lead you astray if you start to really yeah. you know there's m- countless examples of humans doing that um but it's like it all but when it's just this confluence of patterns these this fractal patterns is everywhere in nature it's like where do you draw the line and i think the line is roughly responsibility again it's like what you know what can you take charge for in its ability to respond like it's it's Mm -hmm. it's, you know your body your mind like maybe some of the things you possess you know capital like your extended phenotype your capital your tools whatever um and i think that's why he just he keeps hammering on this point of responsibility that resonates with me so much and i'll read this he says for one many believe that taking responsibility compromises their freedom this seems to be logically true on a simplistic level. Existentially, it is completely off the mark. Let us consider a concrete scenario. Your pen falls off a table. If you see you are responsible for it, you have several choices before you. You could simply bend down and pick it up. If you're unable to do that, you could ask someone to help. Or if you aren't inclined to act on it right now, you might pick it up later. You have a variety of options. If On the other hand, you don't take responsibility for it. What can you do? Nothing. Which is freedom (laughs) to have choices or to have none. Your logical mind tells you give up all responsibility and you will be free. But in your experience of life, the more you are able to respond to everything around you, the freer you are. The logical and experimental dimensions of life work in diametrically opposite ways. Logic is not without its uses but these help only to handle the material aspects of life. If you handle your entire life with logic alone, you will end up a mess. (laughs) So it's like this awareness of the pattern under your control, which is, again, it's kind of like your effort and your attitude, and then choosing how to respond to the things that are outside of your control. That's the ultimate freedom, basically, is you're driving the pattern towards the aims you set. Yep. But people like to say that it's so much for people to take in. It's like, what do you mean? Responsibilities, freedom. Responsibilities are the things I'm trying to get free of. You know, people yeah. think they have all these responsibilities in life and they just want to go sit on the beach and drink margaritas. Um, yeah.
1: well, it's the same. Like I've seen it a lot with the younger generations, and it's a touchy subject of this idea that you are in control of your emotions because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, especially younger people who say, do you really think that I want to be depressed? Like I am mm-hmm. I am depressed and especially on the internet, cause there's a lot of insensitivity. That's just like, well, just don't be right. Mm-hmm. Which is not at all the kind of underpinning of this conversation. And so, there's this mentality again, and we refer to it as the victim mentality. And he's referring to it here as not taking responsibility because if you are depressed, but it's not your fault, it's someone else's fault. Mm. Then how will it ever get better? Well, they have to make it better,
2: Mm.
1: but if they don't want to, then you're shit out of luck as my father would say. Mm. And so all of a sudden, if, if you take responsibility and say, you know, I'm depressed, I can do something about it, or I want to do something about it. Now you have the option to, now you have the power to, now you have the ability to. And it's only from that reality that you can save yourself. In every other reality, it, only the pills or your doctor or your therapist or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, only they can save you.
0: Yeah.
1: And I know personally like I don't want to live in a reality where I am reliant on someone else or something else for my happiness, right? Mm-hmm. I I want responsibility for whether I'm happy or not today. I don't want the price to make me happy or sad. I don't want a person to make me happy or sad. It's on this guy. And you know, I wouldn't have it any other way because Every other way is enslavement. Every yeah. other way is enslavement.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're. That is freedom, right? That is independence of external reality mm-hmm. is freedom, and it's the freedom not only to be insulated from adverse effects of external reality, but it's also the freedom to reshape external reality. Yeah, because when you come from that place, it's like that's when you can. Be honest with yourself, you're in control of yourself, you can set aims for yourself, and you can work towards accomplishing yep. those aims. So it's like a it's a freedom in, in two different senses. And I'm struck here, too, that you know, the path of least resistance is this wanting to give up responsibility. It's like oh I'll just let someone else handle it. Yeah, that's that's the belief, at least. But this is you're trying to abdicate your self-ownership in a way because you can't give away this responsibility. This is something Rothbard talks about a lot. It's like we have this inalienable consciousness, willpower, wit, human reason, whatever you want to call it. We can't even trade it away. You can't Mm -hmm. sell yourself into slavery because the moment you say, I don't want to do this anymore, you're back. You never sold it. Right. You like can't, it's inalienable. And I would, you know, responsibility isn't inalienable you can try to give it away and we can operate in these illusions of oh the government will just take care of everything or whatever Mm -hmm. your girlfriend or your dad whoever whatever scapegoat you try to put there i'm not scapegoat um i guess you're assigning it you're trying to assign your responsibility to someone or something else but you can't even do it in reality it cannot be done yeah it's like this is just a wake up this book is like hey wake up yeah (laughs) that doesn't work This is what's real. Like you have to take responsibility for everything and that's how life works. And if people actually did that, I think it's hard to imagine how good the world could be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I hope that within our lifetime, we can make some dent on people having that responsibility and I, in my experience because again, you know, it is simple. It, this isn't, and even like all the things we talked about, you know, experientially, uh, you know, where was I before this? Like, honestly, none of that matters if you don't understand this. And that's why like as brilliant as this man is and as, you know, incredible of a spiritual leader as, that he is, you don't see him talking about anything weird or crazy like that in this book. It's, it's very simple, logical, become responsible, responsible for the life that you are. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, the beauty of reality opens up to you Mm -hmm. and then you can start to get into the, you know, weirder aspects of existence and Mm -hmm. why am I here? And how did I get here? But I gotta say, if I was miserable all the time, I don't think I would really give a shit uh, where I was before this. I think I would just be ready to leave and so it's it's that we have to shift the perspective because there's a lot of people that are enslaved that don't realize it and don't realize that a mentality shift can unenslave them from the majority of the problems that they face. Mm. I do believe that the financial system, and this is why I'm a part of Bitcoin, this is why I do what I do. The financial system as it exists today is a means towards slavery and enslavement of people. That the programming and the fiat money system that we exist in is ultimately an enslavement camp for the entire world. And only education and, you know, this responsibility will give anyone the ability to break out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, there's, there's so much kind of nuance in, in what I just said. And I, I don't report to say that, you know, everyone and anyone has the ability to break out of the current financial system. Um, you know, that's why Bitcoin exists, to try to give that opt-out mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we are a product of what we can create for the world. And like you said, the, the more people that are free, and I'll, I'll put this actually in a context of my, of my own life. See, a, a lot of people, myself included, when we chose a career or chose to do something, it, it, we had to make enough money, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to make enough To survive, what a world we could create if that wasn't the first thought. Mm -hmm. What would the world be like if we were able to do for the world something beneficial without the need to give a shit about whether it's profitable or not? Mm -hmm. How many more people do you think would be a teacher or a farmer or a painter or a singer if? They didn't have to worry about money, mm-hmm. and again, you know, a lot of people will maybe scream socialism. And again, from a blanket, you know, monolithic government standpoint, that will never work. What I just described, but it, if we are truly looking for utopia, if we're looking for an existence, if we're looking for heaven on earth, let's say then we need to create a reality in which everyone can provide to society without feeling forced into a box. Uh, and I love the way that Einstein said it, when he talks about genius, um, I'm, I'm gonna pull it up, but it's it's about a fish climbing a tree.
0: Oh yeah, I've heard this one.
1: Yeah, it, it's really good.
0: I'll just insert here while you're looking that up, that Yeah. This, I wonder how Bitcoin relates to this because we know that Bitcoin doesn't even encourage, it requires hyper-responsibility, right? Like you mm-hmm. lose your keys, or it's your toast. So, and the author's making the case here that responsibility and freedom, they I mean, almost <coughs> the same thing in a lot of ways. Like you, if you want to be, the more responsibility you take on, the more freedom is possible for you and it's as if we the submission to the truth of individual self responsibility is freedom which is kind of a kind of a crazy paradox but it's so true when you really parse it apart and you know i just think about how bitcoin does change people right just by inducing more responsibility That's almost synonymous with saying it creates more freedom. It forces people to be more responsible. Therefore, it creates more individual freedom.
1: Well, I think there's so many lessons from Bitcoin. One of them that I think was one of the biggest that I've seen in friends and family and even myself is you have to kind of like if you really care, you know, there's a lot of people that are just going to buy Bitcoin because they want the number to go up and they're going to blame you for telling them to buy it. But the people that really want to understand why and what this is, and they they look up Satoshi and the chancellor on the brink of the bailout, and they understand that the money system that was created was flawed. And this is why it's flawed. And we're watching it play out in real time with, you know, inflation, the real purchasing power of the dollar going down 5% a year. And all of a sudden we have an understanding of, oh, so the central bankers have been robbing us for decades, if not centuries. Mm. And you're getting it shoved down the throat of the mainstream media and population I think that it's a beautiful thing. And, and there's so mm-hmm. many different lessons there, again, from not your keys, not your coins, to ownership of money, to understanding money and what it means. Because at the end of the day, money is just a tool. It's energy. Mm-hmm. It's a way for us to exchange time. And those concepts, again, were they were never taught to us. They were just kind mm-hmm. of like subconsciously ingrained but again like at 28 years old i spent the last six years of my life dedicated to this and i can only just explain that within the last year or two mm-hmm. so imagine you know a high schooler that was never even taught how to do their taxes what their understanding of money is you know the kid right. that goes to sleep in class because it's boring So, and one of the things actually that I want to focus on um, after we kind of wrap up Tantra, whenever that ends up being, if ever, is education because of these things. Because I believe that our education system is flawed, that Mm -hmm. we're not not teaching people how to understand or be or anything other than memorize. And Mm -hmm. only if we create people caught, Capable of being conscious and aware, and truly looking at things, will we be able to make a better society? Right. So I, I just want to read this really quickly. So mm-hmm. it was, it's credited credited to Einstein, and it's the story goes like this: someone was saying that Einstein is a genius, and he responded, "Everyone is a genius." but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. <laughs> and it's just, it's so powerful. And I, it's so true to the systems that we've created, uh, the systems that require us to, you know, make money to live. Yeah. yeah. And, I we will see it change, you know. We might be dead seeing it change, but I I don't believe that the system that exists today, the fiat system in particular, is capable of creating a planet in which seven billion people can exist. Uh,
0: well, I mean, history—if history is any indicator fiat systems, self-annihilate. I think we're seeing it happen in real time right now. Yeah. And, you know, back to this whole idea of responsibility and freedom, and you can't take away choice or the ability to choose, let's say, or the ability to respond, which is responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, This may lead one to believe that, you know, what's the big deal then? Everyone could just choose to not use dollars, for instance, and choose some alternative system. But in my estimation, it's like money was chosen as the best place to hide the coercion. It's like, and and we have this idea of printing money, right? If you don't understand money or you just, oh, what's the problem? We ran out of money. Okay, how can we fix it? well, we could print more. Sounds great. Like like if you only think that deep, then it sounds like the perfect obvious solution. Mm -hmm. And it appears to me that those in charge of money historically have gone to great lengths to keep the critical thinking about money that deep. It's like, we'll just keep printing money to solve all the problems. Don't worry about it. You're not responsible for this. We'll fix it. We'll fund the, you know, bureaucratic organization that will fix it blah 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 and that has just been this recurrent pattern of self-deception across human history but people always had a choice right you know they, it's not like fiat currency was forced on you like it is forced like there, there's threat of legal coercion and threat of jail you, you have to pay your taxes in it you have to pay your taxes in it but the it's choice cheap. is never actually taken you know it's like they're they're putting on a lot of pressure yeah but what, what i'm thinking right here are the gold bugs right the gold bugs understood this for decades like mm-hmm. right? this is a complete scam yep yet they still could not exercise their choice right you could buy gold and hold gold but you couldn't exit the system effectively right they still had to live right. in fiat so it's like there's this element of okay we all get to choose but there's also this element that if there's not a lot of good options, you're gonna kind of do what you have to do, right? Like we, I still use dollars, I use less dollars less than ever, thankfully. Bitcoin has given me that ability, but even armed with the power to choose and the power to be responsible, although essential is not necessarily enough. We also need these systems built on volunteerism. Yeah. Um, And so Bitcoin's kind of like fixing this problem really I guess by giving us that system. And then also like you're talking about education, this is like this conversation we're having right now. It's inspired by Bitcoin. It's Mm -hmm. being disseminated for free. It's being disseminated in a decentralized way. People can share it and chop it and slice it and dice it. Like it goes into the collective digital consciousness. And it's like that, that is essential. That is the only way we can fix this is uh, the author makes this point to know it is to fix it, to see it is to fix it. Yeah. And so hopefully we're putting some light on it.
1: Well, I agree. And and I think that is the point of Bitcoin. I, I, in my opinion, the entire purpose is to point out the flaws in the system. Mm. Um, I'll I'll give you some some fun speculation. Um, and I'm I'm sure you've heard it before, especially in the in the Bitcoin circles. But one of one of my favorite things to think about, and what I've done a lot of my research on as a, as a quantitative analyst and developer is the idea of the leverage in the system
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how much money is created when an asset is purchased. And so to to put it very, very simply, and the federal government, well, the Federal Reserve is very aware of this. And this is why we have a mortgage-backed security bond purchase program to the tune of $150 billion a month right now, being tapered soon. But again, it's been going on for a while. Because there is not as much money in the system as the system says that there is. Mm -hmm. And so the stock market, if everyone today decided to pull all their money out, only about uh, roughly based on my analysis, one fifth of those people would get their money. Everybody else would have zero. And so the way that you could interpret that is that the fiat money system, the stock market, is actually only worth about 20% of the values that you see on the screen. Mm. And okay. So what does that mean? Well, it means that everything, the the numbers beyond the M one money supply is inflated. So we have a, a fake amount of money and the money printing that we're doing is actually just to try to catch up to this fake number that we've created. So here's where, it gets really crazy and really fun. Bitcoin's leverage is more like 10 to 1. So every dollar that I might purchase a Bitcoin with actually increases the market cap of Bitcoin by about $10. And so, again, if everyone in Bitcoin decided to pull their, their dollars out, they you would only get 10% of the value that is actually in Bitcoin. And uh, these numbers can all be manipulated by the way. And I ha- there's a fun thought experiment around, like if everybody decided to not sell, we could just make Bitcoin worth you know, infinity. Uh, and I know the guys with GameStop are trying to do this, but mm-hmm. anyways, um, because of, you know, how much money is actually sitting there trying to buy and sell it. And this is where you start to get into the stock market manipulation, all this blah, 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 blah. But anyways, the point is if that number, one to 10 stays true that means that as if as a population we just go you know what we're gonna we're gonna denominate in bitcoin we're gonna rid the world of all debts uh and this is the way to do it we are going to buy two trillion dollars worth of bitcoin that would create 20 trillion dollars worth of wealth so well technically speaking it would net 18 trillion because you injected two but the point is you have created 18 trillion dollars you didn't have to tax anyone you didn't have to print any money you didn't have to do anything other than purchase bitcoin Mm. and and this is where if i was a central banker i would be scared because they are aware of these things very much so. Much more than even I am. And I've spent the last few years of my life dedicated to these things. And the, the truth of the leverage in the system and the amount of money that truly exists versus what the market is purporting is where the system that we've created is truly flawed. It's not just in wage growth and minimum wage and taxation and all those billionaires and there's people that can't eat. It's in the reality of the market and its true value and what you can actually do with it because I can't, well, I could, but technically speaking, I couldn't go to McDonald's and give them a share of Tesla stock. And if I did again, five to one, I'm really only getting 20 cents on my dollar if the entire world does that. Mm -hmm. And so my speculation and what we want to happen, if we want Bitcoin to fix what's broken, you want that money to enter the system and for Bitcoin to create so much wealth, that then we switch over to a new financial paradigm we decide to denominate in bitcoin mm. or loan against bitcoin to go into dollars to pay for things and and in that world in a world where people now denominate in an asset rather than fiat currency we can begin to take steps to solve issues mm. at the end of the day we have created a money system that actually trapped ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And you, again, because I I even say it, like uh, the system is enslaving to so many people. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I believe that, you know, there's reptiles on the moon that are controlling (laughs) things. It's just that somehow we got into a position where we believe that there is not enough money Mm -hmm. we we have created a false resource dollars Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. said there aren't enough and that to me is the most fucked up thing in the entire world today that we have literally created something and then said there's not enough to go around Mm -hmm. what a lie (laughs) and 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 that's what i think that we're seeing today and that's what bitcoin is bringing to light that's what inflation is bringing to light that's what all these things are bringing to light because fiat is not scarce and it fucking shouldn't be and the more that you know they're forced to make it not scarce the the more the system implodes
0: yeah the very key point here inflation is only taxation the, and this blows my mind that people still debate about this like as if there is a debate there is no debate it's when you arbitrarily when one group arbitrarily prints or produces new money they are extracting wealth from all of those that cannot yep. print or produce new money and it, there's a redistributive effect about who receives the money first and but that's all it is there is i mean and this is not even an argument like keynesians will think it's an argument but it's not an argument like it's it's axiomatic. Yep. And so if inflation is only taxation, we know the definition of a slave is someone under a 100% tax regime. That means all the fruits of their labor go to someone else, the authoritarian.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Inflation and taxation is just a dial for turning up or turning down slavery. You know, Tell me yep. your effective tax rate and I'll tell you what percentage of a slave you are. They're the same yep. number. So people, I mean, this is the where we get back to education. It's like, this is so key to understand that this is what's been going on. Really laser focused on the author's depiction of responsibility. But it's like kind of the, again, I'm only about 80% of the way through the book, but I think it's the highlight for me so far. And it's a really, I mean, it's a great book. It's like a lot of good stuff in here, but, um, and this is probably, my intellectual structure, like piggybacking on Peterson's focus on responsibility like that. He talks so often about how that resonates with his audience. And it does it like a very deep level, I think, because it's something that is absent in the existing system, right? That Mm -hmm. fiat is an abdication of responsibility. As we described earlier, it's like, oh, I got a problem. Just print money. Like,
1: yeah. Well, you're also... See, and and this is the problem, you're trusting someone else to take care of you. And uh, especially our politicians, and most people in power, as we've seen throughout history, do not have our best interests in mind. Um, There's a really good documentary that I recommend to everyone. I know everyone has watched the big short, uh, and you know, they want to, But there's a much better documentary about what happened in 2008, 2009, which could be said to be one of the catalysts for Bitcoin's creation. And it's called Inside Job. And it's an incredible documentary about what happened on Wall Street and how the hedge funds of the time and the Goldman Sachs of the world were basically paying off the politicians to let them do what they were doing and not only that but they have they're interviewing a lot of the people involved they also show kind of the court videos and what you have to understand is like these people don't have our best interest in heart and and these videos show it and so the judge says to one of the ceos of one of the funds that blew up the economy, he says, uh, so your trade, we have an email from your trading desk where they were saying this stock is an absolute piece of shit. We need to sell it. And then I have an email dated, you know, same day or same week where you're emailing your clients saying that it's a great buy and that they should be buying it. Do you think that that is uh, right? And first he says, well, I think that it's horrible that that's an email. That's what he says. And the whole courtroom laughs because it's like, obviously like the dude's an asshole. And then he goes on to say, it's not illegal. And the, and the judge is saying to him, you know, is, he's basically saying, is this morally okay? Mm-hmm. And the guy is just like, it's not illegal that's the framework that central bankers are thinking from right it's, it's not you know how do we create a utopian society it's literally how do we make the most money mm-hmm. how do yeah. we get the most for ourselves and our you know close circle
2: mm-hmm. it,
1: again it's not about lizard people or mm-hmm. conspiracy theories mm-hmm. or the illuminati who don't even You don't need to go there. It's human nature. You have somebody in power and all they care about is themselves. Just look at that. And that's enough to realize, you know, the fiat system, the system of I give you power over me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work in our current paradigm. And that's again, that's why code is truth. That's why Bitcoin exists, because you're opting into something that is, you know, immutable and permanent.
0: Yes, uh, well said. And I just to highlight the absurdity here of <laughs> even if someone was we can t- let's just step aside from coercion for a minute and say, look, let's just say that someone volunteered for this system that we can just print money to solve problems. Literally, that's literally what we're doing, right? There's an economic downturn. What do we do? print a ton of money, flood the system with liquidity. Yep. Just stop to think about it, right? Like uh, you're, it's as if you're in a battle and you identify an enemy at the top of the hill and they've got a ton of machine guns and they've got a bunch of food and they're entrenched and they're secured and you're sitting at the bottom of the hill and you don't have any food and you don't have ammo and you're low on guns and somebody in your platoon suggests, hey, why don't we just print a bunch of green slips of paper and stack it up over here? And that'll solve our problem. Like it's literally that. It's like there is no, you're increasing the number. They're not even paper slips really at this point. They're just database entries, but you're just increasing an entry on a database, believing, I mean, under the self delusion presumably that they actually believe this shit, that it will fix any of the real problems in the world. Like it is, it is self-deception at scale. And I I mean, it it is, it is (laughs) so it's hard. Like people have a hard time accepting that it sounds like we're crazy. Like surely you're leaving something out surely there's something you're not telling me about what they're doing. How could our system actually be structured in this way? But it is, it is actually structured in that way. And it's, it's hidden under this guise of safety. And I guess maybe one level deeper is that because when you do increase that artificial liquidity, there's this little stimulative effect initially, right? Like people Mm -hmm. are, they feel safer. So they spend and trade more. Yeah. But, with each round of printing that stimulative effect is dampened and diminished. So it's like, we, we've self-deceived into this drug, this addiction, right? Give me another hit, another hit of Fiat, another hit of Fiat, another hit of Fiat. Every time something goes bad, another hit of Fiat. And then it's sold to us as a means of safety as a means for our own good. But to take it back to the book, I want to read this excerpt to try and sell or even accept something like this is going to make me safe, you're you're abdicating responsibility in that moment. You're saying, I'm not going to be responsible for my own safety or well-being. I'm going to give it to you instead. And the author says this, quote, the possibility of ultimate freedom may seem deeply threatening to many. Yes, it is a threat, but only to your limitations. Do you want to live a life of voluntary self-imprisonment? Limiting your responsibility is to suffocate yourself on various levels, physically, intellectually, and emotionally. Unfortunately, this stifling of life is understood by people as safety, as security. And he goes on to say, what the mind forgets is that the ability to respond is the basis of life. If the ability is ignored, is acknowledged willingly, you become blissful. If it happens unwillingly, you become miserable. Being responsible is taking ownership of your life. So, I mean, that's it. If people just would take an honest assessment of themselves and their reality, their ontological realities, like what is the reality of being? Like you own yourself. This is obvious. But somehow we've bought into these illusions like, no, I don't need, uh, you know, 50% of my fruits of my labor should go to this guy, the state for security. And they're going to print a little money over here when there's problems. So I'm safe and secure. Like, we're just, we're wrapped up in these self-deception. And I, and I don't know how to disentangle it. I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know that I can say, hey, Jerome Powell is an evil guy <laughs> and he's just preying on everyone. Or if he's just well, yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid too, he's just self-deceiving. Yeah. He's like, no, this is good. I'm going to print the paper and then we're going to take over the enemy on the mountain. No problem. Well, and so
1: here's the thing, because exactly. That battle where they say, okay, we'll make these green slips. The battle itself is a story that we're telling ourselves. We're not really in a battle. Right. And and this is what I said right before our break. It's we have created a problem And we are now suffering the consequences of our own creation. And it's truly a world in which I don't know that there is an immediate solution. Like even today, we talk about Bitcoin as a way to opt out. And I love the opt out terminology because... And now what I'm about to say again comes with so many nuances, but I I truly believe that when we talk about freedom, when we talk about responsibility, there are so many ways to achieve it. For me, my way was working 20 hours a day for the last five years of my life so that I could get to a point where I was financially free. If I could go back five years and do it again, I would actually opt out of the system completely and not even try to obtain money, to get freedom, I would actually just go and live off the land somewhere, like find a community and live with them and just volunteer. And the reason I say that is, again, we've been fed these narratives of you need an iPhone, you need a new car, you need a nice house, you need a boyfriend, you need a girlfriend. If you get rid of all that, what you really want is to be happy. Okay, now we go and we do the experiment, what would I do? if money wasn't a thing mm-hmm. well you would try to make yourself happy you and so when you go to the root of what am i trying to do what is the, the point of my experience what is the point of my existence then money is only a means to that end mm-hmm. but it's also not necessary it's it's only necessary if you opt in to the reality of, you know, the American dream, Mm -hmm. the reality of the fiat system, the reality of, you know, I need the new MacBook pro then. Yeah. You need money. You need a job. You need to work, but the truth is you don't need any of those things. You need food, which again, you can get food by volunteering somewhere. There's literally tons of places all over the world. You can go and just volunteer and, Be fed and have a place to sleep. You can live life without the need for money, basically. These systems do exist. The ability to opt out exists. It's only that the programming of the paradigm has told us that we wouldn't enjoy that, that that's not freedom or that's not fun or like I would be stuck there. But I think, especially with the advent of YouTube and like, there's so many people that are like vagabonds that just travel around and a lot of them film it. And through that, they've achieved financial freedom, but there's plenty of others that I've met throughout my life that, you know, live on a shoestring budget and go from place to place. And if they want to, you know, go on vacation then they stay in one place a little bit longer and make money so that they can go out and do things. And it's not to say that that life will make you happy where this one won't. Mm. But the point is, is we've been fed a narrative that most of us believe or or believed. And until you deconstruct the fiat narrative, the narrative of consume, 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 then you will always be on that battlefield. Mm. And you will always need that injection until a new system presents itself, which again, I, you know, we are at the bleeding edge of this and I have a, how I'll put it? I think your, your most, I, I won't use the word bullish, but it's the wrong word, but like aggressive assumption around the fiat problem being fixed. You're still two decades away. I, I, this is not a problem that fixes itself overnight. And it's also not a problem that is fixed quietly. Mm-hmm. It It's going to be a painful process to go from a fiat, you know, money system to a hard money system, to go from Keynesian economics to Austrian economics, if it even happens in our lifetime. And so... <laughs> If you do not opt out today, then you're giving up your responsibility to the officials mm-hmm. and hoping that they fix the problem. And like we're talking about now, they are not incentivized to do so. Right. Their incentivization lies in keeping the status quo. And trust me, switching from Kesian to Austrian is going to be a painful event. You're effectively watching it right now. You're talking about the middle class legitimately being deleted, mm-hmm. and it. I personally do not believe it. It is a, a peaceful transition economically. Mm-hmm. Not that you know there will be violence and war on the shift, but the shift is happening as we're seeing it today, where the problems caused by the Keynesian economic agenda become so grotesque that they can no longer be ignored Mm -hmm. and it's an Austrian system it's sound money it's assets that actually push on that system so hard that it breaks Mm -hmm. and we realize that it needs to be fixed because outside of that there's no reason for it to be fixed because it's working inflation's transitory everything's fine
0: yeah, it is so such a conundrum because one of the, and one of the ways I've been thinking about it recently is, again, we are more productive working harmoniously than we are working in isolation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the reason society exists, by the way. If this fundamental economic reality called the division of labor were not real, I don't think human society, I mean, we'd be, we would bond together for social reasons, but we would not bond together into global trade networks. There'd be no <laughs> reason for it. Yeah. So, and another way to say that we we are increasing productivity is to say we're increasing how much power we harness, right? We're actually trying to channel more energy across space and time. That's how we get rich, right? That's what hydrocarbons are. That's what oil is. That's what electricity mm-hmm. is. That's what um, shipping things around the world. All these things are manifestations of how much energy we have harnessed. But the name of the game is to try to harness as much energy as possible to satisfy as many human wants as possible in capitalism. But at the same time, build the system in a way that it cannot be gamed by insiders. It cannot be. It is resistant to the willpower of any individual. Right, So we're, we're distributing these resources in an equitable way. And that seems to me to be what the whole game of capitalism has been. It's like, how do we harness more power, but do it in a way that no one can, you know, uh, siphon a disproportionate share of that power for themselves. Mm-hmm. And we've had all these different iterations and combinations. This has been kind of the best system we've had thus far. Mm-hmm. But now it is totally being blood dry. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Well, crazy. and I I think you you had a good point, and, and I want you to keep going. And I just want to say, it, like, I don't think capitalism is inherently evil. It, there's it's the same thing. Like money isn't evil. It, it's it's the harness. It, it's the person controlling it and their intentions, mm-hmm. and that's where you know it's funny like Elon Musk tweeted it the other day where the UN said if he donates this percentage of his wealth it'll solve world hunger right and he says back to them prove it and I'll do it yeah because that's the truth the truth is and this is the whole point like we have created a scarce resource in fiat that is falsely scarce and we have said that there's not enough to go around. We have, and I'm saying we, because it is, again, it's our responsibility mm-hmm. that this has happened and that we are agreeing to it in so many different ways. And because of that agreement, we are saying, you know, we don't have enough resources for everyone. Sorry, some of you are going to die. Mm-hmm. That That's what we're saying when we agree to the fiat standard of, of today.
0: Yeah, and, it, you know, again, I would say capitalism. It's actually what's creating a lot of freedom. And that we're, because we've been talking a lot about responsibility today, but Ayn Rand makes the point that the only socioeconomic implementation of that principle is private property, right? Like you have to have Mm -hmm. an interest in a thing, a, a, a socially acknowledged and consensual interest between the owner and the asset. If you violate that, then there's no incentive to take responsibility. So Mm -hmm. to violate property is to destroy these, these, this connective tissue of responsibility in society.
1: Yeah. It's an amazing
0: point. Okay. So that's capitalism. Well, what's fiat doing? We're printing money, giving it to a select few that's violating the property rights of everyone else. It's anti-capitalistic. And this is the other big point. It's like, okay, If you're American and you're listening to this and you think, okay, free markets generate wealth. Well, what's wrong? What's wrong with the U S why, why is it going out of control? Must be problem with capitalism. No, the problem is the anti-capitalistic money that you're running this quote unquote, capitalistic society on. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's just again, back to, yeah. Do you need it? No, not necessarily. But if you want something, then that's what capitalism serves. Capitalism satisfies mm-hmm. the wants of market actors. But when you insert mm-hmm. the, something in the middle that's anti-capitalistic, it's going to do the opposite, right? It's going to okay. violate the wants of some to satisfy the wants of others.
1: So the moment that the Federal Reserve began purchasing you know, mortgage-backed securities, it is no longer a free market. Mm-hmm. And- And that's the whole point. They they now backstopped everyone and said, you know, don't worry guys. We're just, we're going to make sure it just keeps going up. And again, it's not a, it's strange. Like it's not that it's a bad thing. What it is, is that it makes it so that a select few get profit and gain. Mm. Because we exist in a world where a lot of people do not have access to these things. Mm. And so the federal government is pricing out the lower class. They're, they're pricing out the middle class. Mm. There's plenty of them
0: from them, by the way, which is the extra asinine part. It's like they're robbing the middle class and lower class to price them out.
1: Yep, exactly. And you said it earlier too, and I wanted to point, Pointed out again because after they did the initial round of injections into the economy, um, there was this really good point that was made that basically was like, "Look, the money supply increased by thirty percent this year. If you did not make thirty percent more money this year, if your net worth did not go up by thirty percent, you lost money." Yeah, that's you have to look at it that way, right? And you could even go to a, one step further and say like, what were your expenses last year? Mm-hmm. Cause most people's expenses, I know my food bills up a hundred percent from what it was last year. So did I make a hundred percent more of my net worth because around me, everything has increased by that much. My purchasing power is down by 50% now. Mm-hmm. And these it's, it's theft that's happening at a level where most people have never been educated. They're not aware that they're being stolen from at this level. And it, again, responsibility, it it feels as though it's out of your control, that you have no ability to respond to it. And that ultimately is the beauty of Bitcoin. That's the beauty of a store of value. It's the beauty of property Mm -hmm. that you have the ability to, opt out of a system in which someone is controlling the supply without you having any say Mm -hmm. because the jerome powell could decide tomorrow that he wants to raise interest and taper everything Mm -hmm. of course the whole committee has to agree Mm -hmm. but you don't get a vote Yeah. they don't give a shit what you think they're just (laughs) they know what to do so they're going to do it and it whether you like it or not. And that's the system that we exist in today. Whether you like it or not.
0: (laughs) So true. And another way I've been framing this is that, again, as we've established, like all human organizations are businesses. There would not be, if there was not something to be gained by organizing people together, then people would not organize themselves together. That's what a business is. That's what the global economy is. They're all wealth acquisition strategies at the end of the day, and people, you know, want to argue about this. Like, well, what about your church? Not necessarily. It's like, well, yeah, your church <laughs> requires wealth. How how do they build yeah. the church? How do they do the things like it? Yep. And if we come to look at it that way, statism is just a business. Absolutely. The revenues to states are taxes, which means they are. They're coercion payments. They're non-negotiated payments, essentially. And this is, the state as a business wants to grow. So it has to increase coercion over time. So that's what we are. Like taxpayers are the product or the crop even in statism, right? Like the state is raising you up let yep. you trade and produce wealth, and then they're going to hew you down with taxation. Yep. This has been the rise and fall of civilizations across history. It's like preserve a little economic enclave, let them produce some wealth, then eventually it becomes corrupt, and the leaders wield their power to take all the wealth, and then that yep. civilization's gone, and we move on to another iteration.
1: So, I'm not a fan of the two party system of Republican Democrat. I- to try to draw a line in the sand of what matters and what doesn't is silly but i I, my father a longtime republican and entrepreneur grew up in the south very much a you know he's 66 i want to say so grew up in an era where you know nazi germany was still a thing and where it wasn't a thing but the idea of it was a thing and so this idea of communism was so prevalent and so when i have these discussions with him he he makes a lot of good points around communism and the flaws of it and the uh, the democratic party of how they have their blend of communism and how it's bad and again i don't draw any lines in the sand and i don't associate with either of but the point is that he has made that makes so much sense to me is where the Democratic Party leans, where this idea of the government is going to help you pay your taxes and we're going to make sure we take care of you. Mm-hmm. The, that version of democracy and, in his words, communism mm-hmm becomes a problem is that if you give the government that much control, the highest paid members of society will be the government officials. The, in order to be successful, you must work for the government. If, mm-hmm. Do you want to you know, make enough money to feed your family? Well, you need to work at the government because mm-hmm. that is the job. That is not a good place to live. If you truly believe that that's good, then move to China because that's how they do it. And Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to own land there. You can only own it for 70 years. When you die, it's gone. There's literally people there that make $40 a month and that's their thing. And there's other people that make millions Mm -hmm. and obviously it's not working. Right. So the same way that capitalism as it exists in America isn't working. And you you could even argue today that we have a form of communism in America because our officials are some of the most paid members of society. Mm -hmm. And this is where we start to get into this, like we do already exist in a dystopian, you know, fucked up Mm -hmm. cyberpunk world. It just doesn't quite look like the movies
0: that we watch.
1: But we are living in uh, what's the what's the one movie with Katniss Everdeen? Uh,
0: oh, Hunger Games.
1: Hunger Games. Yeah. We live in Hunger Games in so many different ways. That's currently happening. Until we take responsibility for our money and fix it. Yeah. And I, I we're doing it. It's just gonna take a while.
0: Yeah. No, that's <laughs> right. I mean. And that brings us back to the original point. It's like Bitcoin reinstitutes responsibility in the world, right? By reinstituting all the things we've talked about, property, right? Like Bitcoin's the ultimate property, yep. but with that great power comes as great responsibility. Like you, you have to take care of your keys at all costs. Um, and that's what we need. I mean, that again, the visual I have is just mapping a system onto the reality that is. That's how we create the best outcomes. Well, the reality that is, as the author very brilliantly writes about, is that you own yourself. You're responsible for yourself. You can't, no matter what fiction you spin up or what story you believe, you can't change that. So we have, we don't have a choice. I mean, it's so funny. It's like, let's build our systems for choice. We don't have any other choice. (laughs) It's like if you don't build them this way, they're going to collapse. So it's kind of yep. a paradox, but it's all just all about responsibility, man. Just optimize for what is, and we'll be in the best possible position to deal with uncertainty. Yeah. So
1: well, ultimately, because we'll we won't be offloading it to people that don't care, mm. and and that's the truth. The truth is, is that. As more people wake up to the reality of the situation, the reality that we do have an impact on our paradigm and the world, and we can choose our money, the faster we can achieve a society in which transacting is fair. Mm-hmm. Because today it's not. Mm-hmm. And the last 12 months, if it hasn't proven that to you, then I'm sorry. Hopefully this podcast has.
0: Hopefully it has. Um, Russell, man, I have to thank you. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, Thank you. I think this book's really important. Like, There's something here about people just... It's not, you know, spirituality has kind of this strange reputation where it's like non-practical or something. Yeah, I think it's again, quite it's the opposite. Like, this is one of the most yeah. pragmatic things you can do is like really take a look at this and see how you can use it to make changes in your life.
1: Well, and that's exactly it. And I think the best way to understand it is, and you used it earlier, it's the people kind of associate spirituality with ooh, kind of like yeah, yeah. bullshit. Yeah. but But that's not what it is. It's just... It's trying to understand or, or creating a framework for understanding the parts of life that we can't quite explain yet, mm-hmm. the parts of life that science isn't quite aware of, mm-hmm. but that are truisms, that, mm-hmm. that are parts that you and I can agree on, that you are responsible for everything that happens to you that's truth. that's spirituality spirituality is truth that's in the exploration of it
0: yes great place to put a button on it would you please tell my audience where they can find you if they want to learn more about you absolutely or your work um i'm on twitter i barely post
1: um the best way to reach me is through that though um It's just my name, Russell underscore Lecour, and we, it's definitely off subject from what we've been talking about, but I run an algorithmic prop desk that does market making and crypto. So we started a few years ago because we wanted to give people the ability to denominate in something other than the dollar. So we created a fund that allowed people to give us Bitcoin and the objective was to denominate their return in Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and to make them more. Uh, We've been doing that since 2018 and every year we have returned more Bitcoin than we've been given and we plan on continuing to do so by utilizing that Bitcoin for uh, all different kinds of trades from cash and carry to market making and arbitrage. Um, thank you for your time. It's been absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed the book. Uh, and I hope anybody listening also gets a chance to read it. Um, yeah. Thank you.
0: Awesome, man. Thank you so much.